Guys, this is going to be episode number 474, and this is actually a three-part series that I've combined into one podcast episode. Uh, in 2016, I did a uh, interview with Steve Chapel, my friend at Chapel Guide Service and Elk Camp TV, and we basically went over all of Steve's calling strategies and tactics, and I've combined them all here in one episode. And I think you're going to get a lot of value out of this. Uh, these were a couple hundred episodes ago. And so I've been able to combine them into one. You're going to get a lot of good value going into elk season. Uh, before we get to this episode, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com Gear Shop, the new optics authority. And you probably heard the last episode with Cody Nelson, the glassing guru. And we talked about optics. We talked about his change and move to the Go Hunt Gear Shop, being the optics manager. Uh, if you have any optics needs at all, give Cody a call. He's going to take care of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast listeners. You can call him at 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. You can also email him directly at optics at gohunt.com. Cody is an unbelievable glasser. He's very knowledgeable and he's very focused on customer service. Make sure to reach out to him if you have any optics needs. I want to thank the Go Hunt Gear Shop for their title sponsorship of this podcast. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Jason Harrison and his crew, they make the best ultralight hunting gear on the market today. Go to KUIU.com to check them out. If you've been hunting antelope over the last few weeks, you know how brutal the sun has been. And in some states, it's going to continue to be for the next few months. Canyon coolers can't keep the sun off your skin, but it can keep it from melting your ice. Canyon's outfitter lines always place among the best coolers for ice retention, yet costs just a fraction of most premium cooler brands. And with Canyon's lifetime, no fault, no questions asked warranty, it will be the last cooler you ever buy. And remember, just for the J. Scott Outdoors podcast listeners, Canyon is giving you an additional 10% off its already low prices and free shipping just by entering the code J. Scott at checkout. Check them out at canyoncoolers.com. Guys, I also want to thank you guys, the listeners, for your support of this podcast. And without you guys and the avid support, the loyal support that you show, this podcast wouldn't be possible. Uh, I want to uh, just thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to listen and um, listen to these great guests that I have on these podcasts. I want you to please send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com or send me a direct message on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at jscottoutdoors. I love hearing from the listeners. Fall season is kicking off. Uh, we got lots of animals hitting the ground right now. Can't wait for the 2018 season. Make sure to send me a note. Let me know how you're doing. Uh, send me your progress. Uh, send me the the animals that you guys are harvesting, and I love interacting with you. So let's get right to this episode with Steve Chapel. You guys are going to love it. You can, you can swing on him and kill him down there, do it.
Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a good friend, Steve Chapel of Chapel Guide Service. Steve, how you doing? I'm doing great, Jay. It's great to be on the show with you again. I think it was this spring, and I've been yep. anticipating this for a while. Yeah, it sounds great. Uh, for those listeners out there that don't know, Steve and I, when did we meet, Steve? Was it 97, 96? 95, actually. In Christopher Creek, Arizona. Yep. So Steve's dad had a early rifle permit in Unit 23, and I met Steve and his dad and uh, instantly knew these guys loved elk, and, and uh, Steve was an excellent caller the first day that I met him, and I believe you had a hat on that said alcoholic, which uh, pretty much, uh, I, 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 do you still have that hat? Oh, no way. It was probably one of those choo-choo high, hats. you know, I'd be embarrassed to see a picture of that right now, I'm sure. Uh, but we had a good time on that hunt, and we've been friends ever since, and actually, uh, for for quite a few years, we're partners uh, in the guide service, and yep. and uh, and uh, you know we had some great time filming a bunch of those extreme bulls videos, and uh, we've been dear friends for a long time, and it's uh, great to have you on. It's been fun to really see the success that you've had with the calls that you've come up with and created, and and the success that you've had with your elk calling and you know, truly taking your elk calling to another level and, um, you know, your affiliation with the Cabela's and, and, uh, all the different things that you've got going on. It's just, um, great to see, uh, someone also a, a fellow believer in the Lord. Uh, you know, it's just great to have that bond with you, that friendship, and also great to see you succeed with, you know, your guide service and, you know, all the stuff you've got going with, with elk hunting and elk calling. Oh, and thank you, Jay. Um, yeah, yeah, and I, I feel the same likewise to you. I, I'm so happy for you know your successes and in, in this in this podcast and how successful it's been for you. Uh, amazing the guests you have on here. I mean, I feel really humbled to to be a part of it and to get to be a guest on here. Um, I'm a big fan of it, and and uh, I know it's doing great, and you you've got a really good thing going. Well, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy doing it, and I get great feedback from listeners. And you know, it it just uh, seems like the older I get, the more uh, information and more help that that you know I can bring out of a guest on the show to help other people out there. It's just uh, for me what it's all about. And I know we're going to have a great episode today. Um, last year, elk season, unit nine, uh, I had the fortune of camping right next to Steve and. And uh, we'd blow out calls at each other and wave every morning and every night. Um, and you're going to be back in Arizona this year, uh, guiding hunters in in Unit Nine. Uh, how's it look down there, Steve? Yeah, it. You know, it was the typical. We had a good enough winter that the feed was good this spring, but then we had that typical dry spell, you know, in May and June, and it got really dry. Um, we've been lucky to pick up some good, some good monsoon storms. I wouldn't say that the entire unit picked it up, but a lot of the unit did. So overall, you know, the feed looks good right now. Um, there's lots of water in, in lots of tanks, which which is good. Um, I think the elk are going to go into the rut healthy, so it should be a good active rut. Although the archery hunt starts a little early this year, so the first week could be a little slow. 
Um, I would say overall antler growth is, you know, average to to strong on some bulls, just depending on what areas they're in. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's a banner banner year for that, but um, you, you know, you and I both enjoy just the rut and calling, and that's what kind of turns our crank. So I think I think it'll be a good time. For sure, you know, um, last year was kind of an odd year yeah. with the early rifle hunt going in front of the archery hunt, and then the archery hunt going behind the early rifle hunt, and um, you and I both kind of were kind of shaking our heads, just wondering what was going to happen. And I think I think everything kind of unfolded about what we thought. I mean, seemed like by the archery season, you know a lot of the bulls were jostled around a little bit but then as the last week of the archery season you know ensued the bulls were you know screaming and going crazy and what have you um but you know i, I i've said it many times i like the early rifle hunt after the archery hunt i just feel like the archers should get first crack at them i wasn't a big uh, fan of that i know I think in unit 27 this year, yes. I think they're doing the early rifle hunt in front of the archery hunt. Right. Um, still not a fan yeah. uh, of that, but, you know, maybe it's something I just have to get over. Um, they're probably going to pick on a different unit every year for that. And, yeah. you know, what I'm sure you would agree, what I saw in nine last year, it did not give the early rifle hunters an advantage at all. Um, in fact, I thought that hunt was very lackluster being early. So they had no advantage, in my opinion, by going first ahead of the archers. Yeah, I mean, I know a couple big bulls were killed, but I think in general, uh, it was just kind of a slow rut. I think the you know the 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 unit you know got blitzed a little bit with you know every every camp having you know ten helpers and people driving around <laughs> right. and and what have you. Um, but you know the reality is as much as I like to complain about it, um, and I'm good at it, by the way. Um, it, it's still a phenomenal hunt down there in Unit Nine, right. and you know, I, I I think somewhat I need to shake myself a little bit because get pretty spoiled. You know, it's it's a bad day when you only go out and hear, you know, 15 bulls bugle in the morning. You know, so it's 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 or they shut up in 30 minutes. I mean, uh, it's still pretty darn good. Yeah, yeah. Most we think about most guys that have to hunt the high country of Colorado or Idaho or places like that. I mean, they would kill to get to hunt in unit nine or twenty-three or three C or one. You know, some of these units that we get to hunt. Uh, yeah, we do tend to get a little spoiled, and sometimes you just have to step back and look at the big picture and pinch yourself a little bit and say, you know, I really am lucky to be able yeah. to do this every year because you know yeah. it's a dream hunt for most people. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, uh, interesting twist this year. Uh, your dad actually has drawn the early rifle permit in Unit 9 as well, hasn't he? Yeah, <laughs> the last Arizona tag he had was on that year that you and I met for the first time in 1995. They're in Unit 23, and he somewhat didn't realize how special that tag was because he drew it the very first time we put him in. So obviously he thought, well, I can draw this every other year. Well, Turns out it took him 21 years to draw again. So wow. I think he knows this time how much is riding on it and how special the tag is. Um, you know, lucky for him, he's still in great condition, gets around really well, you know, 21 years later from the first tag. So I think, you know, I think we'll have a great hunt with him. Yeah, you know, he's a, he's a very special guy for sure. And, 
you know, something about those lion hunters, you know, those guys are just tough and your dad's one of them. And, uh, you know, just, uh, hope, hope you guys have a great hunt and I'll be anxious to see, um, how you guys do. I know you'll do real well. Um, what, what reports are you getting from some of your other guides, uh, across the state of Arizona, as far as how do some of the other units look and, you know, what kind of forecast do you see, uh, for the rest of the state as well? Yeah. Um, you know, up, up in the Northwest, it's kind of the same as what we've been talking about with nine, about the same scenario, like in unit eight, unit 10, uh, those units there, uh, then over in the white mountains, I'm hearing that like like unit one, unit twenty seven looks really good. I, I think I think again, just because of that mountain country, it just tends to get more precipitation, tends to stay greener. Um, so I'm hearing really good things about those units over there in the White Mountains. So we're anticipating a really good hunt over there. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I'm excited myself. Uh, I've I've probably the guys listening to the podcast are sick of me, uh, sick of hearing about it, but I'm excited to get over to beaver utah and and um you know i i drew after 16 years over there drew the only non-resident uh wow permit for archery elk and um the last time i was in utah was actually with you over right. on the boulder unit uh -huh. what year was that steve i was telling someone that was in 2007 it. jay believe it or not. 2007 wow yeah wow 2007 so yeah um and if i remember right we went over to the boulder and did when did we get there like on the first or second yeah i think it was um the second or third and okay. i'm sure you remember a lot of the unit where we were able to glass and find elk the bulls were still bachelored up yeah and i don't remember them bugling no. much um although the day maybe the day you killed what'd you kill on like day seven or something yeah some somewhere in there i think it was about the 6th of september i think it was or fifth fifth or sixth and yeah we kind of had to go up in the high country up in the, the more aspen and spruce type country and finally found some elk rutting a little bit and you shot a really nice bull on a bull yeah yeah it was a nice bull i thought he was a little better when i shot him which always tends to be the case <laughs> um, but but yeah he he was a nice bull and uh man he that was quite a mess getting that bull out remember all the rocks and blowdowns yeah. and everything that was an interesting pack out yes it was i remember it was me you and nevin yeah. and uh it was uh that was an exciting one for sure yeah it was good to have all of a sudden yeah the the, the, the tracking was <laughs> another story in and of itself we, we, we earned it <laughs> We earned it. We were hands and knees on that yeah. deal. Um, all three of us, actually. That was that was pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah so I'm excited to get to Utah, and um, y you know, it's it's one of those things uh, that the hunt starts on the 20th of August, and it's like, um, you know, I I don't really have any desire to go hunt a bull that's not bugling. My idea of elk hunting is hunting when they're you know, if, even if they're not rutting, if they're just bugling a little bit and, and making some noise and acting like what I think, you know, acting like an elk, then I want to hunt right. them. So I'm going to probably go over, uh, let a little bit of the archery deer and the spike and cow and some of that settle down and, uh, go over there and, and, uh, get a couple weeks of hunting in. Um, but that, that is an interesting dynamic when, you know, I, I got a rude, kind of a rude awakening on your hunt. I thought, uh, you had told me there was, I think at that time there was like 
I don't know, 12 permits, limited entry permits total. And I thought, you know, we're going to have this whole unit to ourselves. My goodness, there were quads and archery deer hunters and spike hunters everywhere. Remember that? Every ridge. It was crazy. The thing I remember the most is that those archery deer and spike hunters, they all seemed to have bugles with and and, uh, decoys and stuff. It was like, are you really hunting deer or what are we doing here? (laughs) Yeah, we'd run into a guy and we're like, you elk hunting? No, I got a deer tag, and he's got a you know three cow calls hanging off his <laughs> off his neck and a bugle, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, yeah. opportunist hunters, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's go harass them, <laughs> break them in but, for the permit holders. Yeah, <laughs> try out the new bugle. Yeah. <laughs> um, Steve, uh, I want to cover today. Uh, I want to cover today uh, elk calling. Uh, specifically talking about bugling, talking about cow calling, and have you do some demonstration for us. And um, before we get to that, let's just take a break here, quick break to hear from our sponsors, and then we'll get right into it. Awesome. Okay, Steve, um, let's talk a little bit about cow calling. And before I have you do some demonstration, the way I look at it, uh, it seems as though with elk calling, there's like two styles. There's like the buglers and the cow callers. And right. not that not that uh, both can't do both, but it, the way I look at it, most people kind of classify themselves as, you know, cow callers or buglers. I agree. And then there's some people in the middle that say they do it all, but, you know, it, it, it seems as though there's, there's, there's lovers and there's fighters. Exactly. Um, We've talked about this before, but I I just want to get your sense and I want to get your sense not only from an Arizona perspective, but from your call. You know, you live in Colorado. uh, You've hunted in Colorado your whole life. Get a perspective, uh, kind of a, a, a wide range perspective and kind of get your thoughts on cow callers versus buglers. And would there be certain situations where maybe you would be a cow caller if you were this, or maybe you would be a bugler if you were, uh, uh, you know, lived in a certain area or what have you? Um, just wanted to get your thoughts on that. And I also want to say, I'm not saying that one way is better than the other because everybody has a different style. But just want to get your whole feelings on the subject. Yeah, I, I you know, I kind of got into elk calling in the in the early '90s. And I think it was when it was transitioning, you know, you had guys like Wayne Carlton and, you know, Primo's was kind of in its infancy as far as, you know, getting into the elk hunting big time. And I think elk hunting at that time was making a little bit of a transition from from bugling, you know, where everybody bugled and some guys would have, you know, like a, you know, PVC pipe or whatever they had to bugle with. Because the mindset was, well, if a bull bugles at me, I'm going to bugle back at him, you know, and it just seemed like in the early 90s it was making that transition to hey well bulls are not only out there bugling but why are they bugling they're they're actually bugling not to just intimidate other bulls and say I'm over here stay away but they're soliciting for cows so you know people began to realize that hey their other motivation is breeding so it just made sense that you know hey if you could mimic that cow call that that's what the bulls like to hear, you know, every bit as much, if not more than than bugling. Uh, they're going to like to hear 
a, a cow sound and have an invitation for love rather than a fight. And so I think a lot of the reason for my mindset is is the timing of when I got into it is that cow calling was becoming popular and it's it seemed like early on even though I I believe I've come a long ways in my calling and still have a ways to go um you know I had success with it right away and so you know I I'm just kind of of the mindset when you have success with something you stick with what's working um, I can still remember my first archery hunt. Yeah, it was in the early 90s and crossed a, crossed a river in the dark, you know, hiked up a hillside with the current wind currents blown down to me, got up there a ways on the hill. Um, I had a Primo's pallet plate, I think a sentry plate at the time. I think that's the first call you ever actually gave me, Jay. Uh -huh. um, you know, made a couple cow calls on it and I'll be doggone if a bull didn't bugle up the mountain a couple hundred yards in front of me. So I walked forward another 7,500 yards, got set up, blew a few more cow calls back behind me, and here he came flying down the hill bugling at me, came right into 30 yards, and I shot and, and killed him. And I thought, wow, elk hunting is this easy? <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you should have just quit exactly. right then. <laughs> you, know, you find out that it's not that easy every year, but you know, my very first archery bull happened to be that easy. Um, yeah, and it was with cow calling, so... I, I guess that's kind of why I have that cow calling mindset. Now, you know, I will bugle some, and I know guys that have a lot of success with it. And like you just said, I don't, I don't feel there's a right or wrong to it. A lot of it, a lot of it is how do you want to play the game? And some guys want to approach it; they want to fight a bull in, and um, and they have success with that. So, uh, so that's I, great. I, I would ask you, uh, Steve. Sorry to interrupt, but I would ask you, you yourself, have you ever? just bugled and bugled a bull in where he bugles, you bugle, he bugles, you bugle, and he comes in. I could probably count that on both hands easily. I have, and it's always been a bull with cows that I've done that with. Um, and to be honest with you, I listened to your podcast, I think it was late last year with Joel Turner. Uh -huh. And what he was talking about really intrigued me. I think he's he I think he's on to something there, um, because when I think back, um, I didn't know what to call the bugle or you know what I was saying or who I was talking to. But I I think he's on to something when he says that that bugle uh, that some people call a display bugle, uh, kind of that raspy lip bally bugle. Is, is a bull talk talking to cows. And when I've had success and got in close to a herd bull and can't call him in with cow calling, um, it seems like I've had some bulls just come raging into that call. Okay, so you're talking about the situation where you're in tight, he's got cows, he's bugling, yes. you're cow calling, he's not coming. Right. You fire off that what Joel calls, I believe, the bull calling cows bugle. Yes. And that bull just loses his mind and comes over to you. Right. And like you said, I, and like Joel says, I think you have to, it's critical that you're close to that bull, super close. I'm talking, you know, inside of 100 yards and closer than that if the terrain will allow you to be that close. Because I think if you're further away, their tendency is to just take their cows and leave. So in other words, you're 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 in tight enough that he has no choice. He either has to 
push his cows and run away from you and look like a chicken or he has to stand up and fight. Yeah. In other words, if you're sitting, I think Joel uses this explanation, if you're sitting at a table and a guy's way across the restaurant and yells out, you know, hey, idiot, and you just kind of ignore him. But if he comes right to your table and looks right at you and says, hey, you idiot, or says something <laughs> to your wife, you don't have a choice other than to either run, you know, run around the guy and leave the restaurant yeah. or stand up and slug him in the guts. Yeah, exactly. And I, I would probably be myself classified as a passive bull <laughs> or a passive <laughs> human. It would take that guy coming right up and probably talking to my wife and flirting with my wife right in front of me. Um, <clears throat> but I do think there's some significance to that. And like I said in the past, when I've called bulls in making that sound, I really didn't think that level deeper and realize what was actually taking place there. And I'm going to be interested to try that out a little more this fall. You know, I have a ton of success cow calling, um, so it's hard to switch up from that. Um, but when I get in that scenario with, with a herd bull and the time is right, I'm not going to be afraid to try that, you know, and kind of kind of knowing what I'm doing now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, one thing I always think about when I'm talking about, you know, cow callers and then versus buglers, I, I do feel like also if you were just going to bugle in Arizona and you, let's say you don't even blow cow calls, I think there's times when you could also call in a lot of young bulls right. depending on your bugle. Yes. I mean, if you are just kind of whistling away, I'm thinking that, you know, smaller subordinate bulls are just going to come over and kind of come within eyesight and see what's going on, thinking they're missing out on something. Right. Um, and do you think that applies to um, some of the different states, you know, Colorado, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, where um, you know, a lot of times guys are just going hunting and they're just trying to kill a bull. I mean, yeah. we get so spoiled in Arizona, you know, oh, he's only a 360, you know, he's only got, you know, 12 inch fifth points. Let's not shoot him. Where, you know, 99% of probably elk hunters are out there. Their, their goal is just to kill a bull. Do you feel like guys in Colorado and Washington and Oregon, if, if they bugled more, would they maybe have more of a chance to, you know, call in? any type type of bull I think potentially so because you know elk are very social um, they're also very territorial so yeah I believe that satellite bulls they'd be very interested in knowing hey what what bull is that you know num number one this is my place uh, you know I'm I'm hanging out in this drainage uh, my wallow is down on this bench and you know this this is my area and you know who's this coming in here bugling um, I, I agree with you. They, they could they could call a bull in just out of curiosity. Now maybe he wouldn't always come in bugling necessarily. He might come in quiet on him. Um, so so yeah, I, I do think there's some credence in that. I just haven't really tested that theory out much at all, to be honest with you. You know, Ben's a, I've had so, so much success cow calling, and the and the results have been pretty dramatic. So I've I've just stuck with that. Um, but I do, you know, I know people that do call in bulls with bugling and, and fighting them in. And one thing I've noticed is, is guys that sound better on a bugle, that sound more elky, obviously are going to call in more bulls that way. I was just going to ask you that question. Um, 
you know, for me, you know, I think this will be my 21st year in the Elkwoods taking the month off. And I hear so many bugles out there that just do not sound good. Yeah. I know that guys that bugle very well, like I know that you, I know that if I took your cow calls away from you and you only had a bugle and I said, Steve, you've got one week and you only have a bugle. I know that you could go out there and call in a lot of bulls with your, with your bugle. But the thing is, I always hear bugles from guys and you're like, that doesn't sound anything like an elk other than it hit kind of a high note and it's it's nothing like. So yeah. these bugle proponents that are huge on the on you know bugling, I think you almost have to say it with the it's it's a little bit of a catch twenty two because it's like if you don't sound good, you have no chance calling a bull into a bugle, in my opinion. Yeah. Whereas you, with a cow call, yeah. if you blow two or three cow calls, even if they're not right, but it's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You still can call stuff in because of the shortness of the call. Right. Then you've got this bugle where they growling at the beginning and go into this whole thing yeah. and you know, then these chuckles and I'm like, that how do they think that that sounds like a, a you know something that's going to work? Yeah, you might get a spike to come in to check it out to go. Holy cow! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> and and it's not that I'm picking on the fellow my fellow hunter, but I kind of am. It's like, guys, okay, if you're gonna if you're gonna call, you've got to practice, and it's got to sound somewhat relative you know, somewhat like an elk. Yeah. I think a term that gets thrown around real loosely and I think mistakenly somewhat is that elk all sound different. So it doesn't matter what you sound like on a call because the elk sound different. I agree with that to, to a certain extent. I do believe that elk have different voices and they sound different, but when you're out there and you hear a lot of them, they all have an elk like quality to it. Right. I, and what would you describe that as Steve? It's, it's three with cows. It's three dimensional. It's it's it, it's nasally. Um, also, the cadence. Humans tend to have a, a certain cadence that we can pick out. Um, again, with the bulls, their sounds are very three dimensional. It almost sounds like they're blowing into a, you know, fifty gallon drum or something. J just the. The, the echo and three-dimensional quality of it, it's just very hard for humans to duplicate. And then that high pitch that they can hit. I just hear very, very few callers that can hit that just real screamy high pitch that those bulls hit. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, um, you know, even the best buglers in the world, as good as they are, I still think, it's very hard to duplicate the original sound where I think some of the best cow callers in the world can, you know, yeah. you, you can sound 99.9% .9 of the time, just like a cow elk, where I would say you're a very good bugler and you're probably 80% of the time you sound just like a bull elk because the, it just, humans cannot get that bellow. They can't get that deep guttural they just you know it's very very hard to duplicate yeah. would you agree with that yeah especially that heavy end when a bull stops his bugle that uh, that 
big, yeah. deep, heavy end. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say even the best buglers in the world, if you've heard a lot of elk, you could pick a person out. Um, but I don't know that the elk are that deciphering. So, you know, hence yeah. those great buglers do have a lot of, su- a lot of success. For and sure, I'm sure they sure. call in a ton of people because, let's face it, not not a lot of people have the luxury of hearing elk all the time. So they can be fooled by real good buglers and be called in. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> would you say, going out on a limb a little bit here, would you say some of the best buglers in the world, you throw them in Unit 9, are they going to have the success that they've had in other states in some of these pressured areas like, you know, and people say, well, a unit nine's not pressured. There's elk everywhere and they're screaming their guts out. Well, there's roads everywhere and they hear all kinds of artificial calls. So in my opinion, they are, I don't like the word call shy, but they know what's real and what's not. You're right. I'm, I'm curious your opinion on take, you know, the top five buglers in the world that that have great success. Do you truly feel that they would have that same success on, uh, you know, Arizona state land or or public land in say Unit Nine or Unit Ten or what have you? I think they might struggle a little bit. Um, you know, they probably would have some success here and there, but I think overall they might struggle a little bit if they've hunted high mountain country where they're used to getting to bulls that other people aren't getting to. And, you know, those elk that they're hunting haven't heard bugling like they do in Arizona. Because you're right. These, those units like 9 and, uh, you know, and 1 and on and on and on, they're just cut up with fire control roads. So people can easily get to them and just blow all kinds of calls at them. Um, you know, I've even heard of some guys that are great buglers that do draw a tag in Arizona occasionally. And, you know, they they ultimately succeed, but they're stories of struggling, you know, stories of, of, of bulls bugling, but going away from their calling. So, right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think Arizona elk are a little different in some ways and, and, you know, just like elk and others, you know, elk are elk, but, um, yeah, it's just always something that I, that I toss around in my mind and I listen to different things and read different things and, sometimes shake my head and think, you know, you, you know, come try those tactics in Arizona and, and, um, that it's not going to work. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I do feel like works effectively cause I've seen it over and over and over is someone that can be a very, very good cow caller, uh, can do well in my opinion, in both situations, uh, right. or in, 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 in all areas, if you're a good cow caller, in my opinion, you can get it done in any state in the Western U S. Um, so what I'd like to do here is let's take a quick break and then I want to dive into actual cow calling and have you demonstrate, uh, both the external and the mouth calls. Okay. Sounds great, Jay. Okay, Steve, it's uh, your pick here what you want to start with as far as cow calling, um, whether you start with the uh, external or the mouth call, uh, but bef- you pick it, and then I've got some questions before you start. Okay, let's go ahead and do the external the open reads. Okay, yeah. um, the one of the things about the open read that I think is very interesting is you can get that real nasally sound. And the listeners, if you haven't heard Steve call 
Uh, Steve, they can go to your website, chapelguideservice.com, and I'm assuming that it would link to your YouTube channel. You have a bunch of YouTube videos of, of you know, you demonstrating uh, your different calls, correct? Yes, yes, and there is links off the website, and I actually do have YouTube videos also loaded right on the website on the Elk Call page. Okay. So both places. And, and so... The matriarch and then the trophy wife are two external read calls that you have developed, you have designed and developed. Um, can you tell me a little bit about uh, the initial stages of design and what you wanted to get out of the call and what you were looking for? Yeah, um, you know, I really discovered open read calls there in the late 90s and it took me a little while to shine up to them. I, I, you know, I used diaphragms for several, several years at that point and had pretty good success with those. So these external rated calls just sounded very, very different to me. So my first reaction was, okay, well, they don't sound quite right. But then what I found is I started practicing on them and refining the sound a little bit is that they have such a three-dimensional nasal quality that is very hard to duplicate on a mouth read. So you know, there's lots of different open read calls out there, but what I want when I design an open read call is I want it to sound three-dimensional, nasally, and I want to be I want it to be sensitive to where I can blow it loudly or softly. And if I can get all those components in a call, then it's going to be absolutely stellar out there in the elk woods. And you know, I feel like with the help of um, Rocky Jacobson at Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls, that we've been able to really achieve that. With the, the with the matriarch and the trophy wife calls, Steve on on external read calls. I mean, one of the first external reads, open read calls that I was using was you know I think we all did that uh, Carlton fighting cow. Yeah. Um, and then you know there was the hyper hot and and you know there's just been a bunch of calls over the years. One of the things that I found with those calls is there's a real harshness to it. And it, it seems like there's a fine line uh, between blowing an external read call and getting that harshness out of it and getting the sweet uh, tonal quality, which I feel like the matriarch and the trophy wife, uh, and, and I've been doing t call testing on my Instagram page and get, been getting a lot of feedback, but... Uh, the matriarch was my number one external read call, and it got knocked off the top uh, ladder by the trophy wife, which was your second call that you came out with. And now they're, you know, both one and two. Wow. And on any give any given different day, I'll say one's better than the other, and then I'll go back to the trophy wife. I'll go back to the matriarch. But can you speak a little bit about? Um, and and obviously no other call specifically, but it seems like. Uh, other manufacturers have not uh, found a way to get that sweet tonal quality, and it's more of that harsh and kind of an abrasive sound. Just curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I won't definitely bash like the, 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 the hyper lip and the hyper hot and the the fighting cow because those are classic calls for sure. I think a for lot sure. of it is a, is technique and how you blow the call, how you use your lips, how you control the air pressure. 
I will say that you know my calls are by design a little bit different in the soundboard design, you know the mylar reed width and thickness, and then the barrel. And I do believe that someone can achieve a real sweet sound on that if they practice enough to where they know how to use their lips and you know control their air pressure. Um, so I do think that there is a lot to say about the design of a call for sure. Um, you know, I think a little bit of it is is just luck. You know, knowing the sound that you want, you know, definitely having that in your mind and then trying some different things with barrel design and soundboard design and all of a sudden you get it just right. And when you when you hear what you've been looking for, you know it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> um, and it's been fun to watch you refine. I mean, I remember when we were, you know messing with elk calls and you started getting it, it just like a light bulb went off in your head and you started taking in my mind external read open read elk calling to a whole nother level i i still tell people all the time there there's nobody in my mind that i've ever heard that blows an external read call better than than you i've heard you m many times out in the woods you know we've been together and I've witnessed it. I've seen you blow it in front of 500 people in a seminar. Um, <laughs> Which is the hardest place, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, it's – it's. I, I, I want to urge the listeners out there to really go on. If, you're, if you want to become a good elk caller, yes, listen to the elk. That's super important. But if you can take the sounds and the way that Steve blows the call – and gets that three-dimensional sound, it's really going to take your calling to the next level. Um, Steve, why don't you demonstrate uh, some open read calling now that I've built this up? Uh, <laughs> no pressure, uh, right? Yeah, no pressure. Um, there's only a million people listening to this. No, but um, why don't you kind of walk through uh, some of your calling, maybe talk about some of your sequencing, um, maybe maybe blow it in a way that you hear people blowing it or that you've blown it and you say this is not how it sounds and then maybe blow it and say this is what I'm this is what I'm searching for. Okay. I'll start out with the matriarch first and as I alluded to a minute ago the key is to use your lips on these calls and not your teeth. I just feel like you get a lot more sweet supple sound using your lips versus your teeth. And then also is your breathing and your air control so a lot of it is is emotion control when you blow these calls because when you get out there you're hiking so you're you're you know you're you're getting worked up that way and then when you get close to a bugling bull you get a little bit of nervousness in you so you're you get short of breath so you've got to take deep breaths and get get your air from deep down in your stomach rather than just huffing it straight out of your mouth if if that makes sense it's kind of like blowing a musical instrument or singing you get your your air from down deep in your stomach most people, and I was the same way, you tend to clamp down on the call too hard in the beginning and it can cut it off and make it either not blow at all or you can get real harsh, you know, dramatic sounds and you don't really want that. You want just sweeter, more soft sounds. So what I do when I teach people is I tell them, just start out barely touching your lips on the call and get light air pressure bring it up from your stomach and it's not this is not what you want to get ultimately but it sounds like this in the beginning okay <clears throat> once you get that 
you just add a little more lip pressure to it. Keep the same amount of air pressure, just add a little more lip pressure to start the cow call. And then as you end the call, you just lessen your, your lip pressure ever so slightly and you get that nice kind of sliding cow call that you're looking for like this. Just something like that. And I, I found that the most common human um, sequence is, is something like this. It seems like people want to do that double clutch sound. Do you know what I'm talking about, Jay? Absolutely. On, whether it's on a diaphragm or an open read. And to be honest, I don't do that at all on an open read. I, nev I, I never hear you do that. And I will throw something in there. I've seen you call so many times. I would describe the way you call as almost mellow. It's yeah. like your whole, everything about you, you're just kind of calm and it's a mellow, it's kind of a just, it's a mellow sound. Does that make sense, Steve? Yeah. Saying the word mellow? Totally. That That's my mindset is that I'm loving the bull, I'm sexy, I'm mellow. I really think that that's what bulls respond to. The only thing that I do out there loud and aggressive is on a mouth read, it, it, you know, is an estrusy or an excited cow call, which I'll demonstrate in a while. But when I'm blowing these open reads, my mindset is to be mellow and sexy. And I basically, I let the bull dictate to me how many times I'm going to call back to him as far as my sequencing goes. So I'll move in and introduce myself to him real sweet and sexy with maybe just one or two calls. And I'll try to blow the call away from him when he hasn't heard me call yet. I want to introduce myself subtly to him. And then when he bugles back to me, I want to give him just enough that I keep him encouraged to come to me and not get distracted with anything else. But then I, I'm not going to overdo it and wham, you know, throw 10 calls on him all at once. I'm just going to reel him in just nice and subtle and, and sexy with it. Uh, you know, I'm going to blow it just about like this. Just, just something like that. And again, I might blow, you know, say one to two to maybe three calls every time he bugles. And that just seems to be the magic formula, at least for me anyway. Steve, I know um, I've talked a lot on this podcast with Chris Rowe about specifically what elk are saying and, and trying to figure out their language as far as what they're meaning to say, what yeah. different sounds mean. But I know you have a little bit different take. I know just from being around you enough, you don't necessarily get into exactly what you're saying to the elk. You primarily are, I don't know how to say this, yeah. Can you speak to what you, do you understand kind of what I'm getting yeah. at? You're, yeah. you're not exactly. And, and like I said, everybody's got different styles. Chris Rowe is, you know, he's a wildlife biologist and it called, you know, he studies animal behavior yeah. and, and, um, so does a phenomenal job. Uh, but you have a little bit different style and that's not to necessarily, try and interpret everything that the elk is saying, you have a different style. 
Yeah, you could say it that way exactly. I, I believe that Chris has a very intelligent approach to it. And I, I think there's a lot to be said about that. I think he's right on the money. I think maybe you could say I have a little more of a caveman approach to it <laughs> versus Chris. Um, and, you know, you do learn a lot from listening to Chris. I, I believe that there's, you know, a, a ton to be learned and gained from him. Um, I, I feel I've had success keeping it simple and kind of taking my game to, to them, so to speak, taking my game to the elk. And I found with me, at least with my simple approach, that if I hit the right tone, if I put the right tone and emotion into the call, that's what the elk really respond to. Um, so I'm not out there worried about whether I'm doing a contact mew or a breeding mew or a you know bull come to me mew. You know, I, I don't I don't even know what all those necessarily sound like. I've just found that when I hit that right tonal quality, that right sweetness. It just seems like that's what bulls want to hear. They're they're out there. They're about breeding during the fall, and they're going to come to that nine times out of ten. It's amazing. Yeah, and I've spent enough time with you listening to you call elk that I know exactly what you're, you're talking about, and it's sometimes hard to put into words. But tonal quality is something that I was alluding to earlier when, you know, and I – I, I want to tell the listeners, I don't know if this recording is going to capture uh, the sound uh, perfectly right. uh, as far as, you know, Steve blowing with his microphone or what have you. But if you go on his YouTube channel and you go and listen to some of the calling where he's maybe further away from the mic and you can hear it, it sounds just like an elk. I mean, identical to an elk. But it's not only the sound, but it's like the timing of the length of the call, it's the sweetness and it's that tonal quality that I feel like a lot of people, including myself, miss out on. And the more that I can sound sweet and have that real genuine three-dimensional sound, that, that super tonal quality is where my calling gets better and where my uh, interaction and my call-ins go up. Right. And Jay, you're being super humble. You're a phenomenal caller. <laughs> well, no doubt I mean, about it. proof is in the pudding. You're being definitely very humble about that. Um, I agree with you and you touched on something that I didn't, I didn't touch on. And yeah, it's the, it's, it's the, the length of the call and the cadence also. Um, one thing that I've noticed it, it is, um, you know, when I listen to elk a lot, there's times when I've tended to blow a cow call too long. Um, and it, it's, it's a, it's a fairly short call and it, it's got that high tone and then it drops off into that, you know, more three dimensional lower sound. Um, there are some sounds cows make that are just kind of high pitched and more one dimensional sounding. Um, but it seems like that call that I get a lot of success with is that, you know, starts with a nice, sweet, high note and then drops into that three-dimensional sound. I'll blow that on the trophy wife. I was blowing that matriarch earlier and let you hear the difference. Um, I think you mentioned on a podcast earlier that you like this trophy wife because it just has pizzazz to it is the word that you used. And I think that's that's the perfect term for it. Yeah, and it, it's, I mean, that call, 
Uh, I used it all last year. I, I can't. I've gone through every call that I could find this year, and and I've tried out. You know, my whole goal is to blow the best out call. I don't care who makes it. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't care what it's called. <laughs> I I don't care what it's called. I don't care what the name. I don't care what it looks like. I mean, my trophy wife that I have from you, like the paint's all, you know, gone off it, and it's now just all white. And it's I've worn the thing out, but it sounds to me, it's it. I, it's my number one call as far as external read, open read, and yeah, blow it. Let's hear the trophy okay, wife. Here we go. Yeah, it's it's just elk. It it's just got an elky sound, and it it it's not me. A lot of how you sound on a call is just the design of the call and there's just some calls by design you just can't get good elky sound out of them so if you're a caller out there and you're struggling with that um, you know shop around try some different calls because there is so much in the design of a call I actually had somebody ask me on Facebook they showed me a picture of two calls and asked me you know which one do you prefer and does it really make a difference and I answered him back and I said yes it makes a huge difference your technique is a ton of it, but the design of the call, um, good or bad, is going to limit what you can do on it. Yeah, and like we've talked, I mean, everybody has different styles. Some people use their teeth. Some people use their lips. Some people use tight lip pressure. Some people use, you know, so not every call is going to work for every person. But I right. can tell you that I've tried every external read call there is. And there's something about, I don't know if it's the shallow uh, soundboard, and I don't even know if shallow is the right word. Right, um, right. I don't know if it's, yeah, yeah. Right. I don't know if it's the, the curvature, I don't know if it's the width of the mylar, the, 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 lit, you know, the, the, the uh, thickness of the mylar, I don't know, but I can tell you that the, I make, the, I feel like the best sounds I make are on the matriarch. And on the trophy wife and the trophy, if I had to pick one out of two, trophy wife is slightly better for what for my taste. What yeah. would you say? You know, if you if you had to just pick one, would you you know, would you ever just pick one, or do you think you blow them the same? I, you know, it's kind of funny. I will have a call that I call my sweetie, and that can vary <laughs> from day to day or week to week that, that I feel confident on that just breaks easily and blows easily for me. Um, last year, for the most part, it was the matriarch. Um, but I'm kind of like you. I'm getting more and more partial to that trophy wife. Uh, first of all, I like the name better. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, I think you you nailed it right on the head when we go back to talking about it just having that pizzazz. It just has a lot of life in it. And like I was talking about, it just means so much when you get that right tonal quality and right emotion in a call. It just really seems to trick a bull's, trip a bull's trigger. I can remember specifically one time blowing the matriarch and having a bull bugling at me. He was probably 120 yards away. I was plenty close to him. He bugled several times, and then he, I could tell he was losing interest, and his bugling was getting less aggressive. And I switched over to the trophy wife, and bam, his emotion went up the charts, off the charts, and he came right in. 
Um, yeah. Just that little bit of tonal quality difference, um, you know, and it could work the other way around at different times. Uh, you know, the matriarch might be what they want to hear. But I always think that the more elky your calls sound, the more success overall you're going to have. So, you know, if you if your calls sound elky and you're blowing them sweet and sexy and three dimensional, you know, you might call in on a, on a good day. You might call in eight or nine out of ten bulls versus one or two. Um you know, and what you might think is, is success, calling in one or two bulls, your success may go way up if you get the right call, put in the right amount of practice, and get to sound really elky on it. It might blow your mind how successful you can be. I'm kind of the type of, of, I guess it's just my personality. If I find some calls I like, I've got to have kind of a handful of them. <laughs> and right. I feel like you talk about your sweetie. I kind of have my sweetie too, but sometimes the sweetie changes. And uh -huh. <laughs> I have, I found where if I have four or five different calls, you know, four or five matriarchs, four or five trophy wives, that they all, even though, quality control and they're the same call and they sound good sometimes they sound one will sound a little better than the other and then you may go another week and it's been in your pocket or whatever and you pull it out and you're all of a sudden bam you're yeah 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 just sweet right. sweet sweet and you're like oh now this is my sweetie. absolutely um can you talk a little bit about you know having more weapons or you know more clubs in your bag or whatever you want to call it um, while I feel like, you know, I could tell someone, go get a trophy wife and just have one call and they're going to do great. Do you also have kind of a, you know, a, a, a starting lineup, a backup lineup, and then, you know, some that are sitting there waiting to get in the lineup? <laughs> exactly. The bench warmers. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I do. I'm guilty of that. Um, because I, like you said, Every call is supposed to be the same, but there can just be tiny little subtle differences. It can be even be down to like the castration band on the call, which on the matriarch and the trophy wife is that green band around the call. I find that when it gets to a certain point of being, you know, around the call and stretched out and, you know, in the heat or whatever or whatnot, it will get to a perfect sweetness at some point. But then after a while, just like a mouth diaphragm will do the same thing, it will get beyond that. And it, it won't break as easily as the way I like to say it. In other words, it won't blow as easily for you. And sometimes it can be just as simple as putting on a new castration band or maybe just moving the castration band that you have on the call an eighth of an inch, a sixteenth of an inch. Another thing um, that people can see on my YouTube videos is you can actually twist the barrel off the call and take the call apart. You don't have to take the call apart. Just twist the barrel off. And then you can move the mylar reed to shorten it or lengthen it. And again, I demonstrate that on the YouTube video so people can see that. And that makes a difference in the tone, not only the tonal quality and the, the pitch of the call, but it also um, changes how the call breaks and how easy it is to blow. And I found that each call has a sweet spot. And if you have a call that you're struggling a little bit with, that would be my recommendation is just to experiment a little bit with that. You know, maybe shortening the read up by 
you know, even just a 32nd or an eighth of an inch can make all the difference in, in the call. So um, that's what I do with my calls to try to get them in that in that sweet spot. And I'm like you, it can vary from day to day, week to week. Um, I can have calls sitting there that I think, you know, hey, this call isn't sounding as, as good as my sweetie right now. And then all of a sudden, just like this year, I picked up a matriarch that I've never used in the woods up to this point. And right now, it's my go-to call. Yeah, and, and you know, I don't know, you know, obviously, we're going to talk about mouth calls and latex next. Um, and, and we know that the latex can change and, you know, stuff, you know, the calls that are bench warmers and have been bench warmers for a year, yeah. all of a sudden you pull out and, man, just something with the latex, the way it's broke down or what have you, it's just sounding awesome. But, you know, I'm not convinced, I'm still not convinced that something about maybe um, just the way that the, the mylar settles in, the way the castration band settles in, that sometimes one call or another can all of a sudden just get that right sweet spot and you're right on. Um, so, I mean, that's a great tip uh, for guys to mess a little bit. If they've got a call, you know, one of these matriarch or one of these uh, uh, trophy wife or another external for that yeah, matter, absolutely. If, if you can mess with, uh, you know, that mylar and mess with the castration band a little bit, don't throw the call away because, you, you know, you might be able to mess with it and bring it back to life. Uh, a kind of a funny story last um, year in Unit 9, that trophy wife was just singing like a little canary. And <laughs> one day, uh, I just went to blow it and it went, <laughs> and I, you know, Sounded like a parrot that day. I, yeah, I got a client and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh gosh, I put the, you know, put the little sweetie in my pocket, yeah. dug out another call, and I came back to camp and I said to Chris, I said, I don't know what happened. He said, what? I said, I went to blow on my trophy wife, and that just sounded like a squawk. Yeah. And it, it wasn't, it probably wasn't as bad as I was making it out, but I knew it wasn't right. Yeah. You know, you know that feeling when you blow, and it's like something ain't right. Oh, it rips your confidence away, too. It just oh. shakes your foundation. In your <laughs> so Chris says, let me see it. And I hand it to him, and he goes, good gracious. He goes, well, no wonder. And I go, what? And he goes, look how dirty it is. <laughs> And I looked at it, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it looked like I'd been rolling around in a campfire. <laughs> so he pulls the castration band off, goes over, and s totally soaks it in the water, like turns the faucet on and is washing it out. And he's like, "You're." he's looking at me like, you're an idiot. And he's shaking it kind of, and then he runs it through the water, and then he puts the castration, and he goes, don't touch it. Yeah, and he sets it on the table and says, "Let it dry." Yeah, you caveman, stay away from it. <laughs> yeah, caveman, stay. You know, it's like you idiot. All you had to do was wash it, so he washed it, <laughs> and it, you know, went back to singing like a canary, just sounding like just beautiful. So, can you talk a little bit about your calls ever get dirty, and do you wash them like that? Yeah, it, yeah, I do because I carry them around in my truck so I can blow on them anytime I'm driving and it's convenient because that's where I get most of my practice is, is in my truck versus in the house because I don't get away with that a lot being a married guy. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I do. I definitely, number one, I just blow the dust off of them with, with my, my breath. And then also, yeah, like you, like you say with Chris, you know, occasionally if, if they get dirty on me, I will. I'll, I'll, I'll rinse them off in the faucet and get them super clean and and, and, and then let them dry out. That's the key because if there's any bit of moisture between the mylar reed and the soundboard, you're going to have sticking problems. And going, let's, yeah, go, let's, go ahead. 
talk, let's talk about sticking problems and and what you know some of the things that cause sticking problems and what you do to el eliminate sticking problems. Yeah, I think just the way we hunt and the fact that it's cool in the mornings. You know, it can be in the 30s and 40s in Arizona. And you're going out there and you're blowing your warm breath on the call, your body temperature on the call, it just naturally is going to tend to condensate. But there's some things that you can do. Number one, like I was talking about earlier, you want to get your air from deep down in your stomach. That's where you want to originate it from. So that needs to be your mindset versus just huffing air through your mouth. If you just huff air through your mouth, number one, you're not going to get the good, sweet, controlled sounds that you want. But then you're also going to get a lot of saliva. You're going to blow saliva, boom, right underneath that reed. It's going to go right between the reed and the soundboard, and it's going to start sticking on you right when you need it to, to blow the most. You know, another thing that I'll do is I'll, I'll wear, you know, obviously I'm wearing a couple, three layers in the mornings, or even in the evening I'll wear a couple of layers. And I always, this is a habit of mine, I always keep that call under a layer next to my body to keep it warmer. That's especially important in the morning because if you have that call out in the open air and it's you know 40 degrees and then you start blowing on it, it's going to condensate on you a lot quicker. And then beyond that, as I'm blowing it, if I start getting some condensation underneath it, what I'll do is I'll roll the castration band out toward in toward the barrel of the call. In other words, to get it as far out on the soundboard as I can. And then I'll just take you know my shirt tail and be real gentle with it and get it between the mylar reed and the soundboard and get rid of that dampness, that condensation. And then I'll roll my castration band back into position and generally that will fix the call. Don't you think that's also a good idea? And and obviously Steve sells calls. He's he, you know he makes a profit on his calls and we're not you know we're here to help and and. You know, I'm not trying to make a sales pitch here, but don't you think that's also a reason to have two or three or four starting lineup external calls that it, you know, one, you know, gets all wet and you're right in the middle of calling a bull, you can immediately switch over to your second sweetie and be running down the road. I mean, I know you, 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 you have multiple calls at all times for that reason. Absolutely. And that is the best reason, just what you alluded to, Jay, that that condensation because it always seems to happen at the worst time you know when that bulls 80 100 yards away and he's just about to make that last commitment and you need to blow that last sweet call and your sweetie is condensated yeah if you have that backup call that you've got in your in your pocket keeping it warm and at the ready that can make all the difference and again you know like you said we're just we're, you and I we're just trying to help people out right now with some tips and some some tricks that we use um, you know, not trying to convince people to buy extra calls by any means, but it can definitely make the difference in your hunt if you've got that backup call to go to. For sure. And when you say you're you're carrying the call at least under one layer next to your skin, you're talking about the lanyard that goes around the call, maybe on your shirt so that it's um, right, you know, if you're wearing a couple layers, you're inside, your, you know, a couple of your shirts next, not next to your skin, but there's there's one layer and it's it's going to be close to your skin, but then there'll be shirt layers over the top of that. So it's almost like it's body temperature. Exactly. Um, not if you just let it hang around your neck, it's going to be cold. 
So then when you blow hot air through it, it's going to immediately condensate. Yeah, and you just reminded me of something. You're exactly right. I don't put it next to my skin. I put it between my first layer and second layer and then whatever layers I have over top of that. Um, so that's where I carry the call. Um, also keeping it warm and up to temperature not only alleviates the condensation problem, it makes the call sound sweeter because that reed is warmer and it gives it a different... I, I don't know how, how to say it other than it's going to vibrate and sound different when it's warmer versus cold and brittle. And I also think when it's warmer, it's more forgiving, meaning yes. when it's cold, it sticks and, and, and you have to be, it, it's, I don't know how to explain it, but when that reed is warm, it's more forgiving and it makes a sweeter sound, yeah. period. That's it. 100%. Absolutely. Okay, Steve. Um, why don't you go through, blow, blow the Trophy Wife and Matriarch a little bit more for us and maybe kind of go through maybe some sequencing or maybe just kind of blow it so we can hear it. Um, and then can you demonstrate what you hear other people doing that you think is a mistake? You've already touched on the double clutch, you know, the double call. Yeah. But I want you to demonstrate kind of that harshness, that kind of, um, you know what I'm talking okay. about. Okay, let, let me try to do that. It's a little hard because that's not how I blow the call, but let me try to make it sound a little harsh and brash right now. This is what you're not looking for. Something like that. And then when you use your lips and really control your air pressure, this is more what you're looking for. What I, what I hear in that is that the, the call that you're not looking for has a very dramatic change in tone. The call you're looking for is more of that drawn-out, steady tonal quality. Does that make sense to yeah, you? Yeah, completely. Like you say, anything that's dramatic and harsh is is in my mind not what a bull wants to hear it's it's gonna like shock him and it's it's you know some people will listen to this and say oh I hear cows doing that harshness all the time I'm not saying that what I'm saying is I've been in the woods enough with Steve watching him call elk and been able to take those sweet tonal quality sounds and put it in my calling and seen success with my calling that I can directly say that that sweet tonal kind of mellow tone from the time he makes a sound to the time he ends a sound makes a difference. Yeah, I, I would agree, agree with that completely. And so much of it, I think, in calling it is your mindset and your confidence. And every year, that's my biggest thing, going out there and having, having that right frame of mind and having that confidence and it's funny how just little things like you were talking about that that trophy wife you know getting dirty and sounding weird it can shake your confidence for you know a day or more sometimes if something like that happens um, so, so yeah confidence in your mindset is everything and you just want to think about that mellow sexy sweet you know I wanna love you come in here this is this is where you wanna be mister mister big bull 
maybe that call you should color it pink. <laughs> a pink camouflage, right? <laughs> um, Steve, talk about um, being spot on with your first call right out of the gate and how important it is when you have finally snuck into that distance and you have got to be what we call, you and I, you know, call spot on. How do you initially... You know, so many people make that first call and it's a squawk. How do you calm yourself and what do you do with your lips to make your first call spot on? Yeah, and that's a great point, Jay. And I heard you touching on, I don't know if we talked about it on a podcast or I heard you talking about it. I'm going to, you know, I'm not just going to clamp my lips down and immediately blow the call. I'm going to test it out a little bit as far as my lip placement. You know, and I'm going to kind of, I don't know, I don't know what you call it, but I call it maybe tap dancing a little bit on the, on the soundboard. Well, it's, it's, for me, it's like, um, do you remember, well, you don't follow golf, I don't think, but a few years back, Sergio Garcia was doing his waggling, you know, before he hit and he would almost, and then he got to where he was, it's just part of his routine, but it, it got in his mind where he was waggling too much. I find myself actually lip checking and yeah. and what did you what did you just call? Oh, I said tap dancing for lack of like, a better term, but lip yeah, checking I mean, is a good term too. Lip checking. I find myself lip checking, and if if people want it, they can go on any of my out calling videos, and you'll see me constantly checking, lip checking, and and trying to make sure I'm in that. Steve talked about that sweet spot. I'm constantly lip checking, trying to make sure that I'm you know. I, I kind of put my lips on and I'm testing that pressure, testing the way that mylar, I'm trying to get that contact there with my lips. Um, yes. and, and I think that's key to being spot on with that first call. Exact placement on your external open call, open read call is important. Absolutely. You just made me think of another thing too, Jay. This may sound real picky and almost sissy maybe, but your lips are so important that you need to, when you're out there hunting, you need to take care of your lips as well. And I'm sure you would agree with this, Jay. If you get dry, chapped lips, you cannot blow an open read call well. So I always have, <laughs> again, this is going to make me sound like a pansy, but I always have, you know, some type of lip product, you know, like Dead Down Wind has chapstick, you know, scentless chapstick. I, I mean, I've even been guilty of using chapstick myself. Uh, I'm a chapstick, yeah. you know, t- 365 days a year, I usually have two things of chapstick in my pocket because I freak out if I lose one and I never want to go without my chapstick. But it's a great point. If your lips are chapped and dry, you yeah. you can blow an external read call, but you can't feel that mylar. And, and I want... I want you to talk about when you're blowing your call, your upper lip is actually tight, but you are managing the vibration of that mylar reed, and your lips cannot be dry and chapped and feel that vibration because what you're really doing with your lip pressure is you're managing that vibration, right? Exactly. And I'm... I'm basically rolling my lips top and bottom around my teeth. I'm not just putting them straight down on the call with my lips sticking out, so to speak. I'm rolling them around my lips, and that and that tightens them up, and it gives you that just just right pressure and just that supple 
feel that you need to get that right sound out of the call. So, you know, managing and taking care of your lips is very important. And then next, like we've been talking about, is just your your, your emotion control and your and your mindset. And I try when I practice, I try to put myself in the game, so to speak. So when I'm blowing the call in my truck, I try to mentally take myself to the woods and say, okay, this is there's an elk in front of me right now and this call matters. How this first call comes out matters. Just like when I'm shooting my bow, I'll try to think this first shot out of my bow is the shot I'm taking out of bull to fill my tag this year. I try to take the same approach with my calling and not just squawk away when I'm practicing but really make it meaningful. And then I think what that allows you to do is when you get out there in the elk woods is I think I mentioned this on another podcast of yours you can take yourself back to that place you can take yourself back to being in your truck and that meaningful practice that you had and put yourself back there in your happy spot so to speak in your comfort zone and that helps you so much emotionally when you're out there to be able to to control your emotions because that's huge in getting that first call to sound to come out and sound right yeah let's let's hear you do some calls now okay. Yeah, and even here talking to you, Jay, I have to kind of take a deep breath when I go to call because I go from talking and being kind of amped up to having to just mentally mellow myself out a little bit. Are you almost, I mean, I know I do because I learned it from you, you almost like take a deep breath and you almost like try and slow your heart rate down. Does that, I know people are going to listen and go, they're getting way deep in this, but that, <laughs> this is the reality of what I've learned watching you is you, even though the intensity level is really high, you almost, the, the look on your face Everything about your body language is you have to almost like mellow everything out to get that really good tonal quality. I absolutely agree with that 100%. Like I said, even just talking with you here, I have to change my mindset to kind of slow myself down, slow my heart rate down, slow my breathing down. I'll do the same thing in the Elkwoods. And I think, honestly, that's the big difference between being a good successful cow caller and a good bugler because by contrast bugling you're out there you're you're fighting that bull and you have that mean angry mindset that that you know you're you're mad at that bull you're hating him you're, you're calling him every name in the book so to speak whereas with the cow call it's the complete opposite so it's a completely different mindset w when you're doing that getting away from the mic just it sounds great but i just want to hear it i just want to Give an example to the listeners that if you stand a little bit further away, uh, how it sounds different. Okay, I'll do that right now, Jay. Okay. That sound a little different. That sounds really good. Um, yeah, it just sound it it. 
once you got away from the microphone a little bit, it captured a little bit more of that, you know, mellow, sweeter tonal quality sound. Just because you know how microphones screw yeah. everything thing up, even on a camera when we're filming and calling elk and stuff. Exactly. You know, if if, if you're if you're running the camera and calling, it doesn't sound as good as if someone else is running the camera and you're 10 or 15 yards back. No doubt. Um, I want to talk about, while we're at it, I want to talk about the glove. And I hate to give away uh, a double top secret, but tell me about the glove and why the glove and why your hand placement is so important on an external read call. That's crazy <laughs> because I'm wearing it right now. <laughs> I know. I figured you were. <laughs> you do. Yeah, that is that is top secret. So we're really giving it away to the listeners today. Yeah. I like to wear a thin set of cotton gloves when I call, not necessarily to keep my hands warm, but it's for the the tonal quality that you get out of the call. I believe it just softens it up a little bit, dampens it just the right amount. Not necessarily muffles it, but just dampens it just a, a tiny bit. And these gloves that I have on, yeah, they're just a thin pair of cotton gloves and they have that, um, you know, on the palm and the fingers where you're going to be gripping the call. They've got those dots for gripping versus the just the cotton because the cotton can be just slippery. I'm sure what pe people know what I mean by those dots. Do you know what I'm talking about, yeah. Jay? The, yeah, the little rubberized kind of dots that just give you a little bit more grip. Exactly. That's it. Um, so, so that's a big top secret for me. And then also how I'm gripping the call is I'm, I'm taking and I'm putting the barrel between my thumb and my forefinger. I'm actually encircling the call with my thumb and my forefinger and then I'm most of the time I'm keeping my lower three fingers down to my pinky open and blowing the call like this and it gives it that sound the only thing that I'll typically do to vary it is I, I'll, I'll bring my pinky and my second finger down over the barrel. I won't totally choke it, but I'll just deflect the sound a little bit, and it gives it a little different tonal quality and a little different volume, and I think that that helps, and it's like this. I'll, I'll kind of do a sequence on how I do it. First with, you know, my, my three fingers open, and then I'll deflect the sound by bringing my pinky and second finger down over the end of the barrel to show yeah. what it sounds like. Yeah, just something like that. It to me it dampens it. Yeah. I think that's a great word that you used and I think it it's part of that sweet tonal quality that you're able to get. I don't think there's any coincidence that, you know, wearing a glove and the way you hold it, I would also like you to so in other words, you're holding it if someone's looking at their hand and they can go on Steve, you can go on Steve's uh, YouTube channel to to see exactly how he holds it, but if you were to give the AOK signal, exactly. like the, the OK signal, that's in essence how the thumb and the forefinger are around the barrel of the call. But I'm going to say you're probably making a little bit more of a circle with your forefinger um, so it's totally around the barrel. And then almost like your three fingers 
are kind of sticking up just a little bit. And when Steve's talking about his pinky and his his ring finger, um, he sometimes will cup that down just a smidge, not actually over the call, but just so that the sound coming out of the barrel hits those fingers and it dampens it just a touch. Is that a good explanation? Exactly. That's perfect. Yeah, you hit it hit it perfectly. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> And and Steve, how tight are you squeezing, and does your uh, hand pressure making the AOK signal around the barrel, does it ever get tighter or looser, or do you typically, I'm going to guess you have a fairly loose grip on it? Exactly. Yeah, I keep a, a fairly loose grip, just enough of a grip that the call doesn't fall out of my, fall down on, on the ground or, you know, off on the lanyard, and I think that that goes back to just my mindset of being relaxed. I feel like if I keep my hand relaxed, my grip is relaxed, it just goes right along with how I want to blow the call, nice and mellow and relaxed. I feel like if I tighten up and choke the call with my hands, that's going to tend to translate into how I'm blowing the call. And Steve, I see people blowing with their hand uh, more in a fist shape. Can you blow that call and make try and make that sound that you you know what I'm talking about where you see it people blow a closed hand call and just show people the difference so maybe blow like three or four notes with a closed hand and then go back to your grip okay you bet I'll, I'll do it with the closed hand first okay okay and then I'll do it open Yeah, I think what you do in effect by choking the call down is you take that pizzazz away from it and that little bit of excitement in the emotional aspect of the call by over choking it. For sure, for sure. Um, how much do you, we're going to talk about mouth calls next, but how much do you rely on your external compared to your mouth call if you had to say for a whole season you know, 50% with one, 30% with one, which, which do you tend to lean on more with your cow calling, that's external a, or mouth? That's a good question. And it does honestly vary from year to year. Um, I'm probably the most sensitive with my mouth reads as far as my confidence level goes. And when I'm lacking a little confidence, I tend to lean more on open read calls. So I would say probably easily 60-70% of the time I'm using an open read and, and they are extremely effective. Um, so yeah, I would say I'm probably using the diaphragm you know, maybe roughly 30% of the time. Okay. So open okay. reads are probably my go-to call I would say overall, especially if you take into account all the years I've been calling. Yeah. Yep. Okay, do you feel like we've covered, is there anything else that we need to cover on externals that I didn't ask you? Uh, boy, I don't, I don't think so, Jay. We're not keeping any okay. secrets in the bag today. I, we, the glove even came exactly. out. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is open kimono day. <laughs> um, let's move on to mouth calls and... Um, Mouth calls is an is a real interesting topic because there you know mouth calls can be so finicky 
and everybody's mouth is shaped differently. I feel like if people can master the external read call, you know, it, you know, if if I was if someone was starting out and they said which one should I master first, I'd tell them to master the external read call personally. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, the mouth call in my mind's going to take quite a bit more time. Uh, let's dive into the mouth call here. Uh, specifically, let's talk about mouth calling uh, cow calls. Um, you make three calls: the uh, closer, which is the red uh, read uh, or, or red call; the challenge uh, mouth call, which is the blue read; and the estrus excited, which is the orange uh, diaphragm or orange orange read. Um, talk a little bit about your style of mouth calling and kind of how it's progressed over the years. Okay, you bet. Yeah, I, I started out using the typical classic, you know, original style calls, which did not have that palate plate, which came out, I believe, in about the mid-90s. And Rocky Jacobson was actually the one that invented the idea of that palate plate. And then... Uh, Primo's bought the patent rights and, you know, started out manufacturing those. And I think that's where you and I first really started and got into elk calling. I think my very first mouth diaphragm was actually a Larry D. Jones. But then when you and I met, you gave me one of those Primo's palette plates, and I just fell in love with that right away. So, And actually, I think for the record, I believe it was a black yeah. Primo's palette plate single. Sentry plate. I forget. Sentry plate, yep. okay. Black. Yep. Um, and for the record, I think it was actually used when I gave it to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we must have been good friends right off the bat, right? <laughs> but as soon as you put it in, you were like, where did you get this? Yeah. It, it just make to me, that palette plate ma makes such a huge difference in the consistency of the call, the ease of getting, you know, being able to use light air pressure to get sounds out of it. Um, just just technically, it was a huge breakthrough in mouth diaphragm calls. So I knew, you know, back then I had no intention of ever, you know, making elk calls. But, you know, when I when I got into that position to work with Rocky on these, there was no doubt in my mind that we were going to incorporate that palette plate design into these calls. Um, you know, each one of them is a little bit different. If I had to say, I probably lean more on that orange estrus excited read the most because I'm a cow caller. Um, I do really love the red and the blue for bugling. Um, those are the, those are more built for bugling. The red call actually is is kind of a hybrid double read. It's got a full single read and then it's got a cut on the second read. And it makes the call just a little more durable um, for the abuse of bugling. And then you can even use it for aggressive cow calling as well once it breaks in a little bit. Steve, I remember back in the day, and this is going way back, when Primos was sending you and I boxes, literally, you know, hundreds of calls and diaphragms and mouth calls to mess with and try, you know, try out and give feedback and um, you know, you were on the Primos Pro staff, I believe, at the time, and right. um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things that I remember you taking surgical scissors on a double reed palette plate or whatever Primos called it, um, the patent that they had bought from Rocky, and I remember you cutting that V cut and cutting those flaps off, and I remember you saying, "What do you think about this?" 
and I believe you cut me a handful of them. And that was the start of, I believe, the hyper, the hyper plate. What was it? Hyper plates yes. with Primos, which was the blue diaphragm. And to me, what do you, you know, I blow a single pretty much now mostly. Um, what do you think that that double read uh, does as far as you did a diamond cut and that double read does as opposed to a single? latex what's the difference yeah you know when it's a full double it's just, so i knew right away blowing on that call that that's not the sound that i wanted and i didn't want to have to put that much air pressure on a call for um talking about uh single and double and maybe the differences there yeah on that on that double read that i initially tried which was a prototype I just found right away that it just took a lot of air pressure. It kind of reminded me more of those wide-framed original diaphragms that I had first started on. And I wanted you know, to be able to blow a call with less air pressure and get more subtle sounds out of it when I wanted to. So I don't even know why trying to, you know, you know using those surgical scissors and trimming that second outside reed, it just, for lack of a better term, it opened the call up and it allowed it to, to be easier to blow, but yet it still retained a real nice full three-dimensional tonal quality. I think to me the main advantage with that call versus a single read is you're going to find bugling is that it's going to be more durable. So when you're out there in the elk woods, you know, the call is more likely to last, you know, a week or a full season for you hammering on it bugling if you're a bugler. Um, versus just a straight single read, which, as you know, the more you pound on it with bugling, you know, you're using more tongue pressure, so it's stretching the latex more. Um, it's going to cause a single read to kind of lose its sweet spot, so to speak, quicker, in my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. And, you know, <clears throat> I used to um, take those uh, double reads because I wanted the latex all to be one, not like a turkey call where you have reed separators and you want that right. the, each each latex to act independently. Like on a turkey call, you've got a lot of, you know, breaking and cutting, and you've got a lot of um, choppiness. Whereas in an elk call, you want that sweet, you know, you know that sweet tonal quality. <clears throat> you don't want the call to break. Um, I used to soak uh, double reeds. In you know coke or sprite yeah. pull them out and then let them dry and that sugar or, or i'm not sure if it was the sugar or the syrup or whatever stuck those latex together and i would offer that tip out there to guys um i think i've said it before on other episodes yes. that if you know if you're blowing a double a double read <clears throat> you <clears throat> excuse me let me get a little drink here you can actually get those reeds to stick together and ultimately sometimes sound better if they act as one. Now, keep in mind, if you do soak it in anything, it's going to break the latex down. Right. So you could pull it out of the Coke and it there's no, I mean, it's like cracked. Yeah. Um, and, and or another thing is to keep chapstick away from the latex because anything that's going to break that latex down is going to change the, the sound or change the 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 qualities of that latex, which is ultimately going to give you a different sound. And if you've got a call that's sweet, 
you know, the last thing you want to be doing is drinking a Coke and then pop that call in because it will cha change the call. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm guilty of doing that soaking experiment and doing it for too long on several of my mouth reads and actually wrecked some of them by doing that. Um, but again, it was because I left them in too long. I got distracted and I wouldn't even know, Jay, you might know how long to leave them in or maybe not, but but I don't really can't give a guy an exact time on that. Um, I always just um, put them in there, let them soak for a minute or two, okay. and then I pull them out. I don't put them back in my mouth. I let them. I put them right on a, on a table, and let them just dry with that syrup and sugar on there. And there's no exact science. I've done it with Sprite. I've done it with Coke. I've done it with Seven Up. I don't drink any, any of the, or Dr Pepper. I don't drink those anymore. I haven't drank those in probably ten years. <laughs> but. Um, it does mess with the latex, and I will tell people that if they have a bunch of bench warmer, you know, mouth calls that are not good, that's one thing you can try is soak them a little bit and see if that changes the dynamics of the latex. Let them dry and then blow them again, and you might have to soak them two or three times. But I've resurrected calls that sounded, you know, weren't even in the, you know, didn't even make four string, and all of a sudden, you know, two weeks later, they're they're my number one call. So. You, mouth calls can be very finicky. Yeah. Um, Steve, why don't you uh, bl blow some of your cow calls um, and kind of walk through how you do it. And then, of course, there's an unbelievable sound that I feel like you are the only one that can capture this. Well, you're not the only one that can capture the sound, but you're the best I've heard capturing uh, that excited you know, estrusy sound. Um, so why don't you take it away from here? Okay. Yeah, you're right. I've heard some guys um, like at the calling competition at the RMEF National Calling Competition breaking that call out, and then there's some guys that are really doing it well. So I don't think by any means I'm the best person at it anymore. Um, I I kind of with with a mouth read I take two mindsets. Well, the f the first thing let me say is my mistake in the beginning when I was trying to learn a mouth read. I was I struggled and I was not a natural at all and I think my problem was is I was reading the packaging and the packaging was telling me to say EI or EO or these words into the call and I think that's a big mistake if you approach it with that mindset of you're trying to say something in the call because to get the right sound out of it I don't believe you're saying anything through the call you're just getting the right tones with your tongue and your and air pressure is how you how you're doing it so once I got away from trying to say something in the call and realize that it's just about trapping the air getting a good seal between your palate and the call which people have varying palate widths so you know you may need to experiment with some different frame widths of calls you know the tape width um, everybody's a little different in that regard but so what I'm doing I'm bringing air up from my stomach in the same manner as I was blowing the open read calls. But but this time, instead of using my lips, I'm directing that air across a latex on the call with my tongue against the latex. So to start out with, just by trapping that air and having my tongue lightly against the latex and bringing that air pressure up from my stomach, it's going to sound like this. Without a call in my mouth, it's going to sound like this. And it sounds like I'm saying, like hissing like a snake. That's just the sound that the air is making. 
But then when I have a diaphragm call in my mouth and I push my tongue up against the latex lightly, it sounds like this. Okay, and again, just like on the open read call, that's the start of the call, and then just by adding a little more tongue pressure to it, you're going to get into that cow call sound. That's just by adding just a tiny bit more tongue pressure, and you're blowing it in very much the same manner as that open read call. In other words, on the open read call, you were using just a little bit firmer lip pressure in the beginning, and then letting off a little bit with, you know, creating a little less lip pressure to get that nice sliding note that you want. With a mouth read, it's the same thing with your tongue. You're starting out with just a little firmer tongue pressure on the latex, and then you're just lightening it up ever so slightly at the end to get that nice note. Um, you know, when people talk about cow calls and calf calls and all of that, I'll be honest with you, Jay, I mainly focus on the just what I call a standard normal mew. I'm not cow-calfing, so to speak, so much. Um, you know, if a guy wants to do calf calling, it's more of a shorter, higher pitched, you know, this would be my best rendition of that. versus cow calling which is more it just it lasts a little longer it's more of a two note type of call um, and that's more of what I use out there and and I want to touch on something you just said when they say it cow capping that's a term that I <laughs> I don't really like that term because what it's saying is you're using one call to cow-calf. You're going cow sound, calf sound. Well, you got to kind of pick it. You got to either be making cow sounds <clears throat> or calf sounds because an elk doesn't stand there and go, meow, 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 right. meow, meow. They're either going, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's their voice. Exactly. Not saying that someone can't sound like a cow and a calf at the same time. I just, I don't like that term cow calfing. I'm not picking on anybody. So whoever's term it is, it's not like I'm point. I just don't like the right. I just from cow calling. You want to sound like a signature cow, and you're trying to talk to a cow or talk to a bull or talk to a calf. Exactly. You're not trying to. You know, you're not trying to make two different animal sounds at the same time. And if you are, that's fine. But I just don't feel like that's a real efficient, effective way to be speaking to a specific animal. Yeah, I think a better term for that rather than cow-calfing is chaos calling. <laughs> yeah, and, and it is. And you hear it a lot and you hear people doing that. And I think that's a good point is, is you know, you're trying to make specific sounds and sound like a specific animal, not, you know, you hear people say, well, I, I'm, I'm going to just start cow-calfing and try and call in a bull. So what yeah. does that mean? Are, are you just trying to just, like you said, chaos? Just, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, just real. To me, that, nev that never works. Yeah. That, that's that's it. For people listening, if you're new, uh, I would forget that one. 
Yeah, I think and, you're way more, you're better off and more successful by being real, um, what's the word, real thoughtful and diligent about every sound that you make. And right, it, this random. isn't just yeah. willy-nilly, just random. Even though, Steve, you might not be specifically as detailed as is trying to make specific calls like what Chris Rowe, where he, he's got, you know, assembly muse and, and uh, lost cow muse yeah. and... You know, you, you you don't necessarily care about naming each call, which neither is right. They're both right. It's just everybody has their own different style. Um, you're more into the sound quality, and what you found is that good tonal quality, like what we talked about in the external read, the same thing with the mouth call, if you can have genuine quality with your tone that has been more successful having cows and bulls come to you correct yes exactly and then again, calling a specific sequence yeah exactly and again it just goes back to my simple approach and simple mindset you know the, the caveman approach um and I think there's a lot to be said with with Chris and and how well he knows the elk language because I do think it matters you know how you sound how frequently you blow the call, how loudly or softly you blow the call. All of that stuff is very important. Just like in humans, you can say the same thing but mean something completely different just by the inflection and emotion you put into saying something. And I believe it's the same way with elk calling. So I believe that everything that Chris says is very has a lot of credence to it. And he really understands that. So I think there's a lot to be gained and people could learn a lot from him. And then incorporate the quality of quality of sound and, and and tone quality and sweetness, and I think people would hit it out of the park with that approach. For sure. So you've demonstrate how to cow call, how to first make sounds. Then I want you to demonstrate, or now I want you to demonstrate that sound that is just amazing, <laughs> and and first. How the sound came about, when you started using it, when you knew that it was going to be a winner, kind of walk me through that. Okay. Yeah, I first heard this sound, that's probably, gosh, approaching maybe 20 years, because, um, you know, we're both getting old these days. <laughs> but we are. <laughs> I'm telling you, Jay, if I hadn't had elk right in front of me, and this this was actually in Colorado, um I get the, get the good fortune of being there during October for the rifle hunts, and the elk are still extremely vocal and in the rut during that time. But they're in a big herd, and I heard, I, I don't know if it was more than one cow or just one cow doing it, and I've said this before, but it just reminded me of a chimpanzee in a cage just screaming and having a fit. And again, if I hadn't had those elk right in front of me, I wouldn't have believed that it was an elk sound. And I remember going back to to camp that night and telling my dad, Dad, you're not going to believe this sound that I heard these elk making tonight. Um, and then I sat about, set about over the years trying to duplicate the best that I could, and I found right away that it was very hard to duplicate on an open read. There may be some people that can come close, but for me, I find it's better on a, on a mouth diaphragm. And I started out, Jay, using my lips, and I would vibrate my lips as I was blowing across the latex. And... And I kind of use my voice box. I, I kind of use my 
throat and kind of growl with it a little bit. Yes. That buzz, that buzz. But you, you've taken it to a whole nother level. Yeah, I started out using my lips, and then I refined it using my vocal cords, like you say, and how you do it. Um, and, and and I believe that what you have to do when you start out the call is you get it again. If the key is down deep in your stomach with a deep breath to get that right tone. You're kind of is a sound that kind of comes out when you've got the right vibration going with your vocal cords and it's it's like this and I'm telling you when I do it at seminars people look at me so strangely because it's such a different sound than the normal mew it's like this and then I can also take it from that and I can remove vibrating my vocal cords and I can push it into a high pitch and I believe that that is what really really gets a reaction out of the bulls going not only doing that kind of deep guttural growly sound in cow call and then pushing it into just a high pitch three-dimensional sound and it breaks and sounds like this and it it is very loud and aggressive out there just my personality, Jay, it's hard for me to blow a call like that out there in the woods. I, I have to really be in the right mindset because it just goes against my natural tendency. But I tell you, it, it, it sure does work during the rut. Yeah, you know, um, Chris would say that that, Chris would argue that that's not necessarily an estrus call. I, I know it's been coined. Chris would say it's a real demanding uh, it's a, you know, get over here. I want attention now. Um, but Steve, also, you might argue that you have video of that one cow in 3C doing that exact sound and there's five bulls right on her and breeding her. So, yes, I agree that it is demanding. Yes, I agree that it's like the ultimate form of I want you here now. Right. But I also think when it does come to the actual time of breeding, I think that that sound is very important. So if you blow that call during the peak of the rut, those bulls know what that means. Yeah, and they come in so aggressively, it's almost a little bit intimidating and could be scary to someone that doesn't realize how afraid of an elk, how afraid of a human an elk actually is how aggressively they come in they just lose all of their senses and and their and their 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 guard just goes completely down and they just come charging in and many times two and three bulls will come in um i agree wholeheartedly that the sound isn't just limited to during the rut i've heard it you know with um the the, the cow calf nursery groups during the summertime i've heard cows doing it then but I think it takes on a whole new meaning when they do it during the rut. And I think the intensity level changes as well. Just like if you hear a bull bugle in July 
and then you hear him bugle September 25th. It's different. Um, and like you said, when I got that cow in uh, 3C in Arizona, on video doing that, I was flabbergasted that I finally had that opportunity to video her. She walked up to within 10, 12 yards of me and was doing it, looking right into the camera like, this is what you've been wanting all along. Here you go. Scream. And she was by herself. There was a bull with cows that I was trying to get on and take a look at. And then there was a satellite bull that was down in the drainage below her. So she was initially all by herself. Well, that satellite bull just comes charging uphill up that, up that drainage toward her, gets right up there within view. I'm videoing, and then the herd bull leaves his cows and comes in, and him and that satellite bull fight and tussle over this cow. And ultimately, the, after a couple lockups and, and such, and they fight, the, the herd bull pushes the satellite bull off and rounds up that cow that was making that sound and, and pushes her in with his harem. So to me, that was pretty dramatic proof that that sound is, is very different and very meaningful to a bull. Even a herd bull with cows, he completely abandoned his cows and came over to that, to that cow making that sound. For sure. And when you're in Colorado at your place there um, that you guys uh, haunt on on your dad's there, do you hear that a lot? I, I, I now hear it every year because my my mind is tuned into it but you don't really have to be necessarily tuned into it because when you hear it there's no mistaking it and if someone out there hasn't heard that that sound yet just like a bull glunking I promise when you hear a bull glunk or when you hear this you know what we call the estrus scream for lack of a better term uh, you know or the growly cow call you're gonna know when you hear it you're gonna say yep that's the sound that Steve and Jay were talking about on the podcast right there yeah, and, and, you know, everyone gets so caught up on naming the certain calls and, exactly. and all of that. And I try not to get caught up. What we try and do, though, is as humans try and name those calls so we can identify to say I'm using the extra screen. Yes. You know, I think Will Primos is the one that, that, that you know, when you showed him the footage, he said that's the chapel scream or the extra scream. Well, you know, some may say it's demanding. Some may say, you know, whatever you call it, I don't really care. Yeah. I can just tell you that if, you know, I don't know that I would use that on the 27th of August, but you come about the 18th or 20th or 25th of September in, in most elk woods and you've got a little bit of activity and you blow that throaty, uh, growly, uh, estrus, you know, chapel scream, whatever you want to call it, you're probably going to get some bulls come over and and give you a look. Yeah, absolutely, and I, you're exactly right. We can get caught up in arguing of what what it's called, and the bottom line is, what is the sound and how do we reproduce it? It's, right, it's just, and yeah, I'm one that I I sometimes I put my foot in my mouth and I you know I I. I put my foot in my mouth and I offend people and I never try to. My whole goal with this is just to learn for myself and to help others, you know, become better callers. And one thing I can tell you is this sound, you know, I've been doing a little buzz sound, not to any extreme of what I just heard you doing, Steve. I feel like you take it to a whole nother level of, of perfect uh, realism. <laughs> I've been doing that little buzz sometimes periodically with my cow calling and I can tell you it adds realism. Right. But then when you can take that buzz 
and that growly and hit that high and I'm going to have you demonstrate it here one more time and hit that high note to me that's like the ultimate sound of a cow saying I don't care what you're doing over there I want you here right now just like if our wives were to use a tone <laughs> there's a certain tone that they can use that we know that you know there is something going on that whatever we're doing in the other room we've ignored her for three minutes but we hear a tone we immediately drop what we're doing and we go over there and that's what I feel like this call that you're blowing is Good. Um, can you blow that call again? Just a few few notes for me. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean about our wives. Wouldn't it be something if they could make a call like this and there would be no doubt? And we would, <laughs> yeah, but they'd use it all the time. <laughs> that would be wonderful. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> And Jay, by contrast, and how I blow a normal cow call on a mouth read, or a you know a normal three-dimensional sweet cow call on an open read, when I use that call, it flies completely in the face of how I blow these other calls. I blow it often, loudly, and frequently. I've heard people say, "Yeah, this guy bugles every time his left foot hits the ground." Well, when I blow this call, I'm wailing away with it. Basically, just like that, would like in the woods, would you blow it that many times or more? Absolutely. And okay. but what I don't do is I don't move. Like, like let's say for instance that a bull's bedded down in the afternoon, and he has maybe just started bugling. The mistake would be to sneak in on that bull, get a hundred yards away, and wail away on a sequence like that. That's not how you would want to do that. If you were going to sneak in on that bull. You would want to, and I think you are absolutely the best at this, sneak in, get close to him, and just baby talk him. Just blow nice, easy, little, sweet cow calls. That's what he wants to hear when he's in that state of just getting up from being bedded down and just starting to bugle. So when I'm blowing this call, by contrast, I'm not going to sneak in and all of a sudden hammer him with that. I'm going to start from a distance a long ways away, and I'm going to walk in blowing it and warm him up to it, so to speak. So he's hearing it from a long ways away. And if he doesn't initially like it and not bugle back to it, then obviously that's not what he wants to hear. So I'm going to stop, and I'm going to, then I'm going to move in tight, and I'm going to you know sweet talk him rather than that. But if, if he's bugling to it, like say from a half a mile away, I'm just going to bring the show to him. I'm just going to walk right at him with the wind correct, and I'm just going to wail away on it. And it seems like the closer I get to him, if he's in the right frame of mind for it, he's going to get up and just start charging toward me. And it, it can be dramatic how quickly they cut the distance down. You know, they can be 600 yards away, and next thing you know, you're dropping down, getting set up with him charging in on you. Steve, what have you found, like, when you're doing that, 
are they bugling and bugling and bugling or do they you know are they what's their reaction typically yeah most of the time they're like a like a gobbler just losing their mind <laughs> gobbling <laughs> their brains out. yeah they're coming and they are bugling frequently and then what it seems to do is it seems to just create excitement out there in the woods and there'll be bulls that you didn't even know were there that start chiming in and a lot of times you'll have a train wreck with two or three bulls that come into it <laughs> and and that call that that uh, demanding mew that estrus mew that chapel scream uh whatever you want to call it you feel that that estrus excited uh orange reed with the thickness of the latex and and the the design of the plate and everything that is the best call that you can make that sound yeah with. it's the best one for me personally i'm not saying that i can't make it on other calls but i feel like it just is in the sweet spot it's it's in the wheelhouse for making that sound exactly how i want to make it for me personally okay yeah it's that's a, definitely an awesome sound i remember the first time that you used it that i know of on film was i believe you had a 7 east or west tag oh. and it was coming down to the end and gary stanley said um <laughs> start blowing that call and you're like you think and he said yeah and you did and that bull came in right man jay that's that's awesome that you bring that up because that you're exactly right that's the first time on video i'd used it before but not right there in front of the camera and what happened was is we had um the, the hunt was slow overall to start with there just was it wasn't a good bugling hunt and it was in seven east and we finally got a bull to bugle. I, I bugled and got a bull to bugle up the hill from us, probably close to three-quarters of a mile away. So we started hiking up toward him, and he just got super quiet. I mean, to the point where you're thinking, is he even still wanting to play the game, or what's he doing? So I started cow calling a little bit, and he just completely shut up. And I found a lot of times that herd bulls will do that to you as you're moving in. If you call on your way in, they'll completely shut up on you. And that's what he did. And, and Gary looks at me and he says, what do you have to lose? Bust that call out and start, start blowing it. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, thanks for the vote of confidence. Let's, let's do it. So I get that call out and I just start walking toward the direction that we heard the first bugle and start blowing it. And I'll be doggone if not right away that bull starts bugling at it. And like I was saying a minute ago, I just walked straight at him with the wind right. And, and I'm telling you, the closer I got, the more excited his bugles became. And and then it was just a hurried setup right there at the end. And and he just came rushing in, glunking everything. I mean, he was totally sold on it. And uh, and I made a shot. Uh, there's a big story about that. Not the best shot I've ever made in my life. But thanks to a great, gracious sportsman named Charlie Rust, who I, I, I owe a great debt of gratitude to this day, I was able to get that bull back eventually. But, yeah, that was the first time on video in a very dramatic fashion that a bull came into that. And then I'm convinced he was a herd bull because when we came back the next day to track him, the shot happened in the evening, and I knew it wasn't a perfect shot. So we you know, played it safe and left him overnight. There were cows right there on the scene of where this happened, and it was like they were confused and didn't know you know, where he was or what was going on. So I'm totally convinced that he was with those cows, left those cows to come into that sound. Awesome. Awesome. And it's uh, <clears throat> something that I think takes some practice. Um, I think you guys can go on and, and check out Steve's videos 
Um, he's got some great um, videos of him doing that. You can listen to this over and over. And, and uh, you know, if you can sound like that and blow it at the right time, I think it's going to bring in uh, a lot of bulls for you and you, you're going to have a lot of success. Okay, Steve, I want to make sure we covered everything on uh, the cow calling. Uh, I know you're going to talk about your your closer and your challenge um, reads uh, here for bugling. Um you and I both are cow callers. Um, you know, if we had to categorize ourselves, we're cow callers, we're lovers, we're not fighters. Um, right. We've had way more success sweet talking bulls as opposed to getting in their face and, and uh, you know, blowing the door down. But uh, let's talk about bugling. Um, you blow a really nice bugle. Um, you've got a really nice locational or kind of a contact bugle. Um, and then you've also got lip balls. You, you, you do all sorts of things. I'm curious your thoughts of bugling, um, you know, and maybe talk about how you use the bugle, um, you know, just to get bulls to, to answer, um, maybe demonstrate some bugles here for us. Yeah, you bet. And I agree wholeheartedly, you know, our mindset is we're, we're kind of lovers versus fighters and, you know, right or wrong. That's just how we approach it. Um, there's some great buglers who have success with that. I use it more in limited circumstances. Um, I will use it to locate. I'll also use cow calling to locate as well. Um, but as you mentioned, you know, we always want to name calls so so that everybody's familiar with what they've heard. Um, this would be, you know, a, a contact or a location bugle. And it's just kind of a a nice, easy bugle. Again, like if you were to equate it to cow calling, it would just be what I would call just a standard cow call. Um, this is just a, a standard contact bugle, nothing too aggressive. You're just trying to get a bull to sound off and answer back to you. It's going to sound something like this. What what call is it, Steve? Which, uh, which I, I've read? got the closer, the red tape okay. read. Yeah, that, that double. Just something like that. Again, I'm not putting hard tongue pressure. I'm not being forceful or aggressive with it. I'm, I'm just being nice and, you know, saying, here I am over here again. I'll demonstrate it again. And you notice I didn't even do the growl at the beginning. I Honestly, I don't hear a lot of bulls doing that growl at the beginning. It's more of they just break right into a tone. Would you agree with that, Jay? Yeah, and I, I think it's probably the single biggest mistake people make when they're bugling is you've we've always been taught this growl and then hit the high pitch and then back to the growl yeah. where the the best success I have bugling is when I start right into a high pitch. Um, I mean, I know you and I have talked about it before when you've heard me bugle. Um, it's just, that's just the way I do it. And I just think growl, high growl is not the way I hear bulls do it. I either hear them. Yeah. Uh, usually you just hear high pitch down to the, to the growl yeah. personally. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'll equate it to going back to the cow call and saying it's the human double clutch, so to speak, in bugling when you do the growl, high growl at the end, it's the double clutch cow call <laughs> that we yeah. all recognize. So, like you said, Jay, they, they just they just go into a high note when they're when they're high note bugling, and then there's just that cutoff at the end, which basically I just abruptly take my tongue off the reed and stop the airflow. And you know, if you can hear it in the bugle, I'll demonstrate it again. It's like this. 
and it's just by dropping your tongue off the reed and put activating your vocal cords a little bit into the sound as well. And the only reason I realize that there's a little bit of a vocal cord aspect of it at the end is because uh, there was a time when I lost my voice one time and I was trying to bugle and it just sounded really windy and there was no depth to it at the end. So I realized at that point that you do, whether you realize it or not, you put a little bit of vocal cord into it at the end, although not in my opinion a growl per se. For sure. So that's kind of what you do to just get a bull to bugle back, just to see what's around, just to try and get an answer, kind of feel for what's what's shaking out there. Yeah, it, exactly. And then, um, you know, the next level that people talk about, and again, you know, not not trying to name calls, but to make it familiar for people, um, would be what a lot of people call a challenge bugle, and it's it's more of an aggressive, emotional bugle. Again, it's going to be just that high pitch sound, but it's going to have a lot more emotion in it. It's going to be higher pitched, and it, it, you're just going to hear the difference in emotion, and I'll, I'll demonstrate that right now. Okay, you can see there's more volume. It's a higher pitch. It just you can tell just like I was talking about earlier with cow calling you can hear that different emotion in there and that's what you're looking for when would you use that call Steve I I would use that and I, I did actually use this on a bull last year in unit 9 he was a bull that had cows I actually saw him with the cows and then he just he went just out of sight and I did my typical trying to call him in with cow calls Jay and he would bugle but I could tell he was going away and then I switched to a mouth diaphragm and I did a little higher pitch cow call on it and I got him to bugle. And the minute he bugled back, I felt like I had nothing to lose. I jumped on him with that bugle and he turned away from his cows and came from about 200 yards away, left his cows and came into that. Lost his mind like, you little pipsqueak, I'm going to come over there and whip your butt. Exactly. How dare you, you know, he might have had the mindset that, you know, one of his cows happened to get you know left out and was not in, not in the harem anymore and when he heard me cow call and he heard me cutting him off with that bugle it, it it just it just ticked him off he couldn't take it you know i think something needs to be said there that just like humans you know elk have their own personalities and there's some elk that at the drop of just like people at the drop of a hat they want to fight absolutely and then there's there's people that, you know, you can kind of push on them a little bit yep. and they're still going to try and not fight. And then, you know, finally you can get them to fight. And then there's people that it doesn't matter what you do to them. They're not going to fight you. I, I believe that 100 percent. And I've seen that year after year in the Elkwoods. And I always say in Arizona specifically, sometimes you'll have bulls running a harem that are three, 320, 330, 310 in their score. And, and I believe that's because of their temperament. They're a super aggressive fighter type of bull, just like with a human, a fighter mentality. And then you can have a bull that's a satellite bull that's a 350, 360 bull. He's got a beautiful, pretty rack that, of course, the cows would you know look at and admire. But he just doesn't have that mean, angry temperament in him. Yeah, I mean, and just like... Uh... You know, bulls that sound big and tough, and all of a sudden you get up there and it's, you know, a 310 yeah. bull that's, you know, and then there's a 350 standing off to the side, you know, with a pretty bugle and, yeah, and pretty. he's do docile and feeding. Yeah. Um, where, you know, you can get, you know, 
little guys that are just tougher nails and they want to fight just because they like it. And then you got some big six foot four guy that's, you know, got muscles and everything else. And he's just a gentle giant. Yeah. And it does go back to that in the elk woods. Absolutely. With, with how they bugle, how they respond to cow calls, whether they're running a harem or not. And the beautiful thing for us as hunters is, you know, we can, those satellite bulls are ripe for the picking. And many times it blows you away what will come in. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and then, so now you've got chuckling and grunting yes. and some of that stuff. Um, at what point do you, do you, do you become a chuckler and, and, and do that? Um, for me, that's um, typically never. <laughs> <laughs> but you're very good at it, though. Here's the thing. I think if somebody practices, and to me, it's the hardest call in all of elk calling. I think it's even harder than that estra scream sound. I really do. I, I think it's the call that's going to take the most practice, the most attention to, and unfortunately, I think it's going to yield the fewest results. So I don't know that a guy does himself well by spending a lot of time practicing on it when he should be practicing cow calling. But anyway, it really, it comes down to a two part call. And I just came upon this maybe within the last year or two that really the first part of it is very similar to a bark. Um, and of course you don't want to stop with just a bark because that's an alarm sound. Um, but you're, but you're blowing very forcefully out on the latex um, with your tongue against the reed, and it's going to make this sound initially. This is the first part of the call, Jay. Okay, that's just basically a bark. But then the second part of the call, I'm breathing a deep breath of air back in with my tongue actually not on the reed at all. And it's, it's making the second part of the call, and, and I'll do it slow at first, and then I'll speed it up a little bit. Okay. And then so in other words the second part of that call you're you're breathing back in you're not blowing out you're sucking back exactly. in. Exactly. Again it sounds like this. That that's exactly it and the hard part when you're breathing back in you almost have to kind of grip the call in your mouth and kind of clamp your close your mouth down because you can suck that diaphragm right down your throat if you're not careful about it um, and, and, and which is not which is not recommended exactly it might, <laughs> might take you out of the elk woods to the hospital so, um, the the real difference to me because you hear people talk about chuckling and grunting really the difference to me is the, is the frequency of it and the and, and the speed of it and, and, and to me, chuckling hits a, hits a higher note, and it's faster, and they do it more times. So this, this to me, is what a chuckle sounds like. Okay, and then a grunt would be more like this. And I'm going to – what I'll do with the grunt, Jay, is I'll do a lip ball because it just gets me more in the groove of being able to do a grunt because – when I hear bulls doing grunting, they more frequently follow up a lip ball with grunting as opposed to chuckling. So it's going to sound like this in a, in a full bugle. Let me do that again.
like that. The, I hear, the, you know, bulls, when the, they do come off of a lip ball, they're more more apt to do, you know, that deep grunt and do it just two or three times as opposed to the chuckling, which got, has the faster cadence to it. Yeah, I was going to say, I could hear the slow, I could hear the grunt being slower and the chuckle is more of a, <laughs> almost like an ape, like you say. Absolutely. Yeah, like an ape going after it. So you would do what you would call a challenge bugle and a chuckle together, and then you would do a lip ball and a grunt together. So show me or demonstrate the uh, kind of your challenge bugle into a chuckle. Okay, here we go. Okay, that would be yeah the challenge bugle going into chuckling, and then this would be the lip ball going into grunting. That would be the difference right there. Good stuff right there. That's really good, good quality sounds. Um, you're a lover, not a fighter, though. Yeah, absolutely. Overall, I'm 99% a lover. Like I said in the very beginning, you know, your podcast with Joel Turner really intrigued me, and I'm going to be interested to try that out a little more now that I know what I'm supposed to be saying. Um, you know, that bull calling cow sound um, to me is basically that that lip ball sound, and, and again, it's like this. Starts out starts out in a high note and then it goes into that vibrating basically you're vibrating your lips to get that sound and then you're cutting it off abruptly and it's a fairly quick call like this with no chuckling no grunting at the end just like that and some people I believe call it a, a display bugle it's like you're showing off to the cows you're you're blowing a pretty, you know, awesome sounding bugle that's got that, you know, lip ball characteristic in it. And um, yeah, I, 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 I do notice that when I've blown that near a herd bull with cows, it definitely gets a reaction out of them. That's awesome. I can't wait to hear how your experience is trying that new little trick this year um, in Arizona and in Colorado, both uh, both places where you elk hunt, and um, it'd be interesting to see after the season if you think that uh, uh, you know it works like you think it will. Yeah, we'll hold Joel's feet to the fire on it, right, Jay? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he's a fun one to hold to the fire. He's a he's a he's a great caller in his own right, um, and uh, just a phenomenal guy. Uh, Man, we've covered a lot of ground today. Um, just trying to think if we've forgotten anything. Um, you know, the only other thing that I can think of as far as bull vocalizations would be like, you know, raking in a tree, glunking, that type of, type of stuff where you're really not doing it with a call or your, or your vocal cords or your air, so to speak. Um, Let's talk about that. Um, glunking, for one, is a sound... Um, you, you okay glunking for me is a sound primarily that i think a bull uses when he does not want to let other bulls know 
that he's around and he wants to herd and tend his cows passively. And he's actually glunking, talking to his cows with his glunk and not trying to give off his location as to attract satellite bulls. That's my interpretation. I, I would agree that that is the most accurate way of thinking about it. Yes, because if he's very vocal and he's bugling, he, he, he's going to attract, it's like flies to stink. If he's, if he's bugling a lot, that's a tip off. In fact, when I'm in the elk woods, if I hear a bull bugling aggressively and frequently, I go, that's a bull with cows right there. And I yeah. can guarantee you other elk know that even more so. So you're exactly right. He's being more subtle about it. He's tending his cows, talking quietly to him by, by doing that glunking. But I will also say that I have called in bulls that are by themselves. Yes. And they are coming to the call yep. and they are glunking. But what I feel like they're saying is, I'm coming, I'm coming. I just don't necessarily want to bugle and get my butt kicked, but I'm coming. I, You hear me, but I don't want anyone else to come over here and spoil our little love <laughs> session. Yeah, absolutely. And I've had that happen frequently. Sometimes bulls even come in completely without bugling and just glunking. Um, so I think, yeah, it serves that purpose of not advertising that you're coming to you to the other bulls. And, and then also it, it seems to kind of be a confidence call that they make. Um, yeah. Dominant, it, real confident type call. Yeah, and but I've also seen five points doing yeah. it. And but what I think is, yeah, they're feeling confident because they hear you cow calling and they think you're the only one around. So they're gonna show the most dominant, you know, confident display they can without giving away their location. I've heard people say that only mature herd bulls glunk, and I just totally disagree. Yeah, I wouldn't I, say I, only mature herd bulls. I, I would say spikes don't do it. But but you are right. Um, you know, a kind of an aggressive five point or a three year old six point can absolutely glunk. Yes. Do you um, have the ability to glunk? I mean, I I I've um, the old Primos tube. Yeah. Uh, I used to be able to glunk right. that Terminator. Um, do you ever glunk? You know, Jay, I don't. To be completely honest with you. Um, I, I have used it, I will say that I have used it very, very infrequently, and it's only when I feel like I have nothing to lose. I've thrown the whole tackle box at the bull, I've cow called to him, I've estrus called to him, I've bugled and I can't get him to break away. Um, that might be my last thing that I go to, um, so I don't do it frequently. Um, and you're right, that, that, that old Primo's ter Terminator hose was very good for doing it. I used to bugle, and I should have mentioned this earlier, I used this bully bull grunt tube by Bugle and Bull Game Calls or Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. Um, I think it's phenomenal. I think just like the design of an open reed cow call, the type of grunt tube that you use makes a huge difference in the quality of the sound you get when bugling. So I'm very partial to the bully bull grunt tube. Um, but I can by, like, stiffening my hand, the palm of my hand, make, you know, as if I'm, I, I, don't, I don't know what you would say, but I'm pointing all of my fingers straight out in a fairly rigid position, and then I'm tapping the end of the call in the palm of my hand and getting a sound like this. Something like that. And it, that, again, it doesn't to me reflect how three-dimensional actually glunking from a bull sounds. 
Um, but it, again, it's not a highly important call on my on my list of or, or in my tackle box, so I'm not bringing a special grunt tube with me to do it. <laughs> For sure. Um, and you've got all those other sounds. Um, yes. It just tells me that you don't feel that as a caller, that's that important of a sound to have to have. Yeah, I, I, I've seen that if you do it to the wrong bull, which is usually most bulls out there, it for whatever reason conveys to them that you are a very confident bull and it tends to me to make them shut up and go away more so than come in. At, at least the times that the times that I've used it is when I've been very, very close to them. It's a bull with cows, a a very aggressive yeah. bull and you're really tight and you make that sound that that sound only means one thing and that is when you see a bull tending with a cow yeah. and kind of nosing around with her he's glunking and so you sneak into a herd and there's no other bull around other than the herd bull and you make that that's saying that hey that that's only a sound and what it is is I'm glunking and I'm not bugling at you I'm trying to steal a cow and I've yep. seen that glunk. I've 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 glunked at bulls and seen it work really really well. But I've also glunked at them and seen them go away because it's a very like. How do you know if you know? Think of it from the bull's perspective. Say he's not an aggressive bull, right. and he's got his cows, and all of a sudden there's a glunker in the herd with them, and he's like, "Oh crap! I got to go over there and fight." He may not. Yeah. And, now, if he's a fighter, he may run your head over. Yeah. You know, he may just come charging over. It's a that's a perfect point. I think there's three elements to glunking that you've got to keep in mind. You've got to keep in mind the temperament of the bull for, to start with, and I, I would believe that you want to use it on more aggressive bulls, in my experience and yours as well. I think your distance from the bull, and then your timing of when you do it. All three of those things are are key in glunking or not glunking. So you want to have an aggressive bull. You want to be super close to him, almost infiltrating his herd, and then and then your timing needs to be right. Number one, because you're making that motion with your with your hand on the grunt tube, and you can be picked up on and, and see your movement can be seen. So all of those are are, are, are critical in, in calling a bull in with a glunk. For sure, for sure. Well, Steve, we've covered a lot of ground. Um it's been awesome. Any any other thing going on with you? Um you know, anything going on as far as people can order the calls right off your website, uh, chapelguideservice.com, um, any new videos, any uh, website, anything going on with what you got going? Yeah, thanks for asking, Jay. I did release Extreme Bulls 8. It's a new DVD. It was released this spring, um, and it, you know, showcases the hunts from like the last two or three years. Um, it's got a lot of hunts from Arizona, archery hunting, um, rifle hunting. It's got a couple hunts from, from Colorado as well. All of it is during the rut, which is the cool thing. There's a ton of bugling on it, call in after call in on there. I always say that the best teacher for me, at least, when I was new in the, the sport of elk hunting and elk calling, was watching actual hunting videos versus demonstration videos because I feel like demonstration videos can be more canned Versus when you watch a hunting video, you're seeing what people actually do when they're in the field in the, in the heat of battle, so to speak. So as a new elk hunter, I paid attention to, okay, what, what call were they blowing? Were they cow calling? Were they bugling? Okay, the bull just bugled. 
how many calls did the guy blow back to him and did it work? So I think if you watch these hunting videos as a student rather than just as an observer, you can learn more from them than you can actually learn from a demonstration video is, is, is my feeling on that. So I have that video out and then I also have you know, all the calls on there, they can be purchased individually or in package deals. So, so you know, anyone can save money if they want to buy multiple calls at the same time. I even have a package with videos and, you know, video included with it. Um, so, yeah, and again, um, it, most people, if they're out of state, aren't going to pay tax. They're not going to pay shipping um, with t orders of $10 or more. So I would encourage anyone that's uh, looking to get into elk calling or just wants to, you know, get their elk calls for the fall to, to go on my website and, and uh, be confident in, in, in getting great elk calls that are proven. So no tax and free shipping, any orders over $10, chapelguideservice.com. You can pick up Extreme Bulls 8 uh, and any of the elk calls that we've talked about. Uh, I can say that uh, uh, the, the elk calls are phenomenal. You're... you're uh, just an unreal caller as you've demonstrated and it's been great uh, watching you progress and it seems like the thing that I really like about you is you could have a long time ago settled back and been a really good caller but it seems like every year you continue to push yourself and make better sounds and that's that's something that's that's awesome because you've been a phenomenal caller for a long time but you get better and better and better um, and, and it's, it's pretty cool to watch all the different sounds and the wide range of, you know, quality that you can produce. Um, and I know the guys that hunt with you, uh, get to see that, uh, on a, you know, on a 14 day basis, whether it's an archery hunt or a seven day rifle hunt or whatever. Um, so it's just awesome. And, uh, thanks for coming on and sharing your knowledge and expertise with us. And I encourage anyone to go definitely check out chapelguideservice.com and check out uh, Steve's YouTube channel. And even though he's saying that the hunting videos are best to watch, I 100% agree. Uh, you also have some phenomenal demonstration um, and instructional videos as well. So Thanks, Jay. Um, yeah, and I, help, I think that helps people learn how to blow the call initially. So that's very important. I shouldn't discount that. You're right. Yeah, but I mean, I also agree with, you know, it's one thing to make great sounds, and you know, uh, we've been doing a real elk sounds uh, 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 series here on the podcast, just so people could listen to to real sounds of elk. But I think you do bring up a great point about you know watching a video like Extreme Bulls Eight, where you can actually see the timing and sequencing, not only of the call structure, but of when to call and when not to call and the different sounds you make compared to what the bull is doing. And there's nothing like that uh, firsthand experience. And, you know, you, you can make great sounds and not call in many bulls, or you can make great sounds and know the timing, which is a whole nother podcast episode, yeah. um, of when to call and when not to call and what to do, um, but, you know, I think first things first, start making great elk sounds, you know, listen to the elk themselves, listen to guys like yourself. Uh, I can easily tell all the listeners that if, if they spend a lot of time listening on your website, uh, they're going to be a better elk hunter. They're going to be a better elk caller. So, uh, buddy, it's been awesome. I'll be praying for you. Uh, be excited to hear how 
your dad does on his hunt and your your different hunters across the state and um just been awesome spending the time here with you and so i don't know when i'll see you because i'm going to be in utah and then send me a picture um, jay <laughs> yeah we'll have to send pictures that's a beautiful thing about uh uh texting and and cell phones yeah. is uh we can send each other photos so uh until until next time buddy god bless all right yeah thank you so much jay thanks for having me on again I, it's a real privilege to be on here i'm a big fan of your podcast and um I'll, I'll be praying for you as well it's nice to have a brother in christ that shares the same passion and um I, I, it's been a great friendship for 20 plus years and um yeah i just really really appreciate you having me on here i've really enjoyed this today thank you so much all right buddy sounds good all right take care thank you take care Guys, I almost forgot. Uh, right after this, I'm going to play a bunch of Steve Chappell blowing his calls. So you can use that to mimic and uh, try and get better with your elk calls. And then following a bunch of series of Steve calling, I'm going to let uh, some of the real elk sounds from some of the prior episodes uh, on the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. So you can hear the real elk and you guys can just uh, download these episodes and uh, try and uh, you know elevate your elk calling. So I hope you enjoy it. Yeah.